It's another week. I'm Jordan Bruno here on the Mind Virus Podcast, and I'm broadcasting with a couple of friends from the beyond. <laughs> if you can hear the echo, that's because once again we're experimenting. Our uh, chief pronunciator and sound engineer extraordinaire, Bobby Flood, is traveling the world, traveling the country. He's left us to fend, he's left me to fend. For my own device, uh, you know, done for myself here, left me to my own devices. It's funny that on the podcast we have a history of using idioms and words, sometimes incorrectly, and some of our listeners will, will correct us. So we appreciate all the comments and everything. Anyway, I'm here with my two friends from, from deep inside an undisclosed location under the mountain or in the cosmos, wherever you want to think about it. I've got uh, my but friend. But the sign right there just <laughs> says Plato's Cave. Well, it's Plato's Cave. That's right. Welcome, <laughs> Al. We've got Al and we've got Whitaker. Hello. Uh, Hi. Welcome to the Mind Virus Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Whitaker is a longtime listener, and Al is a Virgin Podcast Mind Virus Podcast listener. But he's going to sit in and and chat with us today, and I think it will be interesting discussion. So thanks, guys, for coming. Yeah, thanks. H- how you doing? Good. I'm- Doing fairly well myself. Yeah, I, I love the Plato's Cave reference. That's that's appropriate for this podcast. Um, what do you guys want to talk about today? A poetry, apparently. A pair of poetry. <laughs> well, yeah, I just happen to have um, Invictus by uh, William Hurst Hen- um, Henley up here on my phone. Um, I really enjoy this one. I, I read it to my kids, um, even when they can't really understand it, because eventually they do. And then things start making sense. So for those of you who have heard it, I'm sure you like it, or at least I hope you do. And for those of you who haven't, uh, here we go. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the honor of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This really resonates with me because so much of what we teach our children is tradition. And in but a few few lines, he says, do away with it. Be who you are. And be honest about who you are unrepentant in your own captaincy of your own decisions, of your own soul, 
and I love it. It's, this is one of the all-time greats in literature. Just to recap, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You know, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. This is, this is a topic, uh, Al, that we've discussed quite a bit actually on the podcast. This idea that we're in darkness here uh, in this world and that the darkness is getting thicker. So we, we've, we've talked a lot about current events. We've talked a lot about symbolism and movies and uh, literature and things like that. So you're fitting right in here, pulling up the, the Henley poem. <laughs> I, it's very good. Happy to fit. <laughs> I like that. The collectivism. I just am, I think that's a really bad thing. So that it really stuck out. The whole I am the master of my fate. You know, that's a good thing and kind of a terrifying thing to realize you're responsible for your actions. And if you mess up, you're responsible for them. There's just natural laws that govern what you do. And all too often, we allow other people, especially the, the popular or the charismatic or the good-looking, to influence us contrary to what our soul is telling us is right. I mean, I, I think you were, yeah. Whitaker, you were talking a little bit earlier about um, your, your feelings as a structural engineer about some of the things that have been pulled over our eyes in regards to uh, 9-11, were you not? Uh, so that bit. was that was okay. So Whitaker's a structural engineer, and um, I mentioned in, in previous podcasts that we he had some differing opinions than some of the than perhaps my opinions on the subject. And he volunteered to come on the program when he found out that we were going to need uh, volunteers while Bobby was out of town. So. There's, there's a little context there, and I, I'm not sure. I, we haven't really talked about what your opinion is on the subject, right? I'll, I'll just, yeah. I'll just say I, I mentioned to him one time that he ought to investigate the AE 9/11 Truth Groups material because this is a group of uh, a significant number of architects and engineers who have put together material on the subject and how how they look at the the falling of the three skyscrapers on September 11th, 2001 as controlled demolition. And I think Whitaker here disagrees with that a little bit. So we're going to, well, let's just launch right into that. Oh, here we go. <laughs> you don't want to talk about Spencer Cox first? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny is last time with John, we, did, we forgot to mention him entirely. And I'm not sure how Bobby feels about that. I don't know if he got to listen to the last podcast, I don't know if he'll even come back because yeah. we didn't spend any time on Spencer Cox. He leaves, the audio quality just goes. The, the audio quality there's goes not, to heck. There's no, Nobody talks about Spencer no Cox. Spencer. Oh, That's man. right. All right, so this is something I've thought about for years. And one time on LinkedIn, someone brought up a, uh, started bringing up, hey, let's have a discussion about this. We're smart structural engineers we can discuss this and it just turned into patriotism and all this stuff so there's no real it would be nice to just have an honest frank straightforward debate or discussion but a lot of people just bring a lot of emotion into it 
And, and I think that ruins it. So a lot of what I'm saying has just been tucked away in my head for years. And so maybe you can, in the discussion, we can, uh, you can, uh, point out some flaws in the thinking. So well, t- let me, let me, for the, for the audience here on the podcast website. So we have a website, mindvirus.show, which it's not a dot com. It's a dot show. That's confusing for some people, but on the web, on the, uh, on every page that we post a podcast file, we'll post links to sources that we reference during the podcast and other funny things, you know, video clips and stuff, stuff like that. So I'll post a link to the architects and engineers website, which is ae911truth.org. And for context, these, these architects and engineers make the argument that the, the falling of the skyscrapers is the, the, the government's explanation that the skyscrapers falling down because they were hit by airplanes is inconsistent with the application of natural physics and that the, there was more at work there rather than just damage by airplanes. And they, they, they don't really say that it must have been a controlled demolition, but they demonstrate using the scientific method how it could not have been a natural destruction by fire as the National Institutes of Standards and Technology report concluded. And so they, they're, they're definitely in the realm of uh, what the mainstream would call conspiracy theory because they're saying, hey, look, this, couldn't, this must have been some sort of a controlled demolition because it couldn't have happened naturally and it couldn't have happened just because the, the airplanes hit it. So there's a lot of material there on AE 911 Truth dot org that supports this and I, I'm gonna I've, I've queued up a couple of videos here that we'll watch real time with Whitaker and get his take on but but that's that's where the architects and engineers generally or the, that particular group of architects and engineers generally falls on the subject Whitaker tell us what's your what's your thoughts how do you do you think that um the towers fell because they were damaged by airplanes. Is that, you think that's the, that's what actually happened? I don't see any evidence that they fell for any other reason. Okay. So what about building seven, which was not hit by an airplane? So what's interesting about building seven is they had a transfer. So in a, in a, a nice, clean structure you'd have columns or walls that bring on the wall loads all the way down to the foundation mm-hmm. the load path is a huge thing that you need to understand as an engineer some some buildings have a load path that is complicated mm-hmm. so what happens is when you have these loads coming down from several floors and you need to transfer that load over to another column or wall somewhere mm-hmm. you have like a What's called a transfer beam. I my understanding is there is something in the way underneath Building Seven, so they had to have have these transfer beams to push the load to different directions, and that's obviously a weak point. And um, so I could see how you get rid of a transfer beam in the middle, and okay, and so that, we're that brings it down. Yeah, wh- while we're sitting here talking, I'm I'm replaying over and over again the video of Building Seven falling. Uh, and so this is the one that most people haven't heard of. Yeah. Most people are not aware that a third skyscraper fell. It's a 43-story or 47-story, I forget, steel frame 
high-rise structure and it simply collapsed like a it's very similar to uh what when you see these uh videos of las vegas casinos being imploded it crimps in the middle and then it 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 comes straight down and i what i've got here is i'll put a link to this on the website but i'm playing a video clip of a guy named of a documentary crew interviewing a guy named Danny Juanco, who is a demolition expert from the Netherlands, I believe. And he, he's the type of person that would rig these buildings to fall. And he, he show, they show him building seven and he says, oh, this is a controlled demolition. And then later on they tell him it's World Trade Center 76. Really? Oh, they, they, you know, are you sure? Absolutely, it's been imploded. You know, and he says, well, this is, that was a higher job performed by, by a team of experts, he says. Well, but it also happened on 9-11. Same day? <laughs> you know, I, yeah, the same day. Are you sure? I mean, he's, t- he's saying this in Dutch, I believe. So I'm, I'm translating for you. We've got the, we've got the uh, subtitles here. Are you sure that was on the 11th? That can't be, he says. So he didn't Seven hours that. after World Trade Center fell. Really? And he, he sighs and he says, well, they worked hard. So that, that's the, this is the big smoking gun that the, the architects and engineers will, the architects and engineers for Truth Group will use is they'll, they'll, they'll show these people like Whitaker a video of Building 7 falling and say, okay, so you think what, what you're saying here, and you've studied this, Whitaker, so I, this is what I don't understand. Because when, when I look at this, let's see if we can find the footage again of the, the tower falling. When I look at this, I'm going, okay, that's, that's class, like the whole thing goes down at the same time. How is right. that possible without cutting the joints? How is that possible without removing the resistance? So the purpose of engineering is to make buildings as economical as possible. You know, responsibility on me is I need to make it safe, but also there's a drive to make it economical because, you know, so there's these competing interests mm-hmm. and you need to to come to the middle. And so there's building codes that tell you, okay, these are the loads that you design to. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing to point out, like when he said seven hours after the towers fell, a building would will have, from what I've seen, like a two hour fire rating. I think mm-hmm. for sensitive places, it's three hours max. Because like people think that Buildings are designed for the, an earthquake to just survive after the earthquake. They're designed for you to be able to get out of the building after an earthquake, possibly. Mm-hmm. It's designed to life safety, not so that the building stays up. So I think there's a lot of faith in how strong a building should be. And and um, uh, there's this quote. I mean, it's it's been repeated. It's very popular in... I heard it back in school. Uh, Structural engineering is the art of molding materials we do not wholly understand into shapes we cannot precisely analyze so as to withstand forces we cannot really assess in in such a way that the community at large has no reason to suspect the extent of our ignorance. Okay. (laughs) So that's not... We're going to watch some casino demolitions here. 
Okay, so this one, uh, the, the, the architects and engineers will point out that there are certain characteristics of controlled demolition. One is that it falls at free fall speed. Number two, it will crimp. So it will, it will kind of crimp in the middle or go from one side to the other. And then, they, then the building will fall into its own footprint. There is right. no, and the reason that it does that is because the explosives are rigged to cut all the support joints or the support beams at the same time so that it will fall, as opposed to having a resistance in places that would cause it to fall to the side or to not fall. And so... This one is looks like one where they're doing a kind of a fireworks show, show at the same time. But I'll I'll put a link to this here also. But that's I think the the main point of all the people that would disagree with you is that that's this is exactly what um building 7 looks like. It doesn't even have the squibs coming out the side. It just goes it it just literally collapses. It falls in on itself. And it only had fires burning on like three or four floors, which they say were incident to debris coming out of the... See, there's one where the support beams were not cut appropriately and it falls to the side. Now, that's a good example. I'm glad we're looking at that. This was the... uh, That was like a space needle type of a thing that fell down. You got the sands here, 1996. So unfortunately, this isn't a video presentation. So I'm narrating for you, but that, that one of the, let's go back to that. That was, it was the landmark. And this, I think is what you, this is what the engineers are saying you would see if it weren't, if it weren't a controlled demolition, you would see. I remember seeing that on the news. You would see it. And they use that in Mars attacks. Oh yeah. I think, I think I remember right. I remember seeing that. See how that falls to the side. Yeah. See that did not happen with World Trade Center 7 or 1 and 2. That's what should have happened with World Trade Center. Any, any of those buildings should have, should have fallen to the side because they were the parts that were not damaged were still intact. That's the whole point. There was no raging inferno in, in WTC 7 or the healthy parts of, one, of Towers 1 and 2. And the, and the fact that they just fall into their own footprint and then create the pyroclastic cloud... Right. That's that's another thing they want to the architects and engineers want to point out is that the cloud of dust is showing you that the explosion is pulverizing a lot of material so there's no more mass to crush the remaining floors. So that and and I and I I'm not a credentialed engineer like Whitaker but I did spend a, about a year looking into the destruction of the towers on 9/11 before I capitulated and said okay yeah, that wasn't an accident. It, I, I really spent a lot of time looking at it. Doesn't mean that I'm right. It's just, in my opinion, I think this is what this is what we saw as we're watching these these casino demolitions. That where, where, where are the other examples of a high rise that's been on fire that's fallen down like that? Are there a ton of them? Uh, I found one when I, when I was looking into this, I found at least one. I, I saw this. It just, I was just started, uh, looking for, um, high rise fires. Cause that, cause you told, you pointed me the architects and engineers for nine 11 truth and, and that 
there was something about the presentation that kind of irked me a little bit because he kept repeating the same phrase over and over again. There's never been a high rise. I, I don't remember the exact words. There's never been a high rise that's come down by um, by that, a fire that collapsed because of a fire. But and I'm like, you, you know what? There was much more than a fire going on there. It wasn't just a fire. Um, oh, you're talking about World Trade Center Seven? Um, oh, so that, that's just for I, I'm thinking of one and two. So let's talk about one and two. Do you want me well, to send you this tra- link? Sure. Uh, email it to me. We, do we need to pull it up right now? Or um... Oh, it was, it was a, a Brazilian high-rise fire causes building to collapse. And okay, just play it right there and, and show us all that. You obviously... Okay. The latest next on a fiery disaster unfolding in Sao Paulo, Brazil this morning. A 26-floor tower is now a smoldering mountain of debris. It collapsed in flames earlier today. Okay, so that one was entirely on fire. From yeah. that video, obviously so upsetting to the woman who filmed it. This is street level. Yeah. Okay, so now let, let's look at let's let's look at World Trade Center Seven here. And admittedly, this building is not on fire. No, it's not on fire in the, all those floors, but. You take out the bottom. That's all you need is to take out the bottom and the rest. So that was yeah. The but look at the, look at it. It's not look at it. The top goes first. That's the that's the whole point of these guys. Look, watch this. It's the crimp. You see the crimp. The top. The the penthouse went first. And there are lots of other angles. And I guess maybe we have to do uh, this. This uh, podcast is probably not the format for examining that but there there are a lot of other angles i think you can see it in this one right there where the the, the penthouse goes yeah, first the penthouse goes first yeah that's a classic uh controlled demolition from what i understand is that, that you cut the center towers and then everything else you can go from side to side or you can go from the middle out and that's uh and my position is um from what i've seen it seems plausible that these towers came down without a controlled demolition. I think that it's explainable and makes sense. I haven't dug too deep into Building 7 because how, how do you get unfiltered raw data? It, that's, that's the thing is I have a hard time trusting data coming in without a bias. That's what I Everything like. Everything has a bias, right? Yeah, and that's what I. I just want raw data. And that's mm-hmm. that's the whole thing with this COVID thing. I want to see the data. I want to see the charts. And it's been nice that there are some people out there who have been putting out the charts and the data, and so you realize, wow, the stuff that the data that is coming in is not matching what the hysteria is. And so, one thing. One thing about the towers, if you're okay if we just talk about the towers first. You said, well, the towers should fall sideways. Well, what, let's, watch the, let's watch some footage of the towers. So here, um, I want to go to, like, I think 320 into, the, into this particular one. Let me just double check here. We got to get to the right spot in the... 
in the movie. The, the, the argument with the towers is that the top, the, the heavy top above where the, where the airplanes hit, was, it was heavy enough to basically act as a hammer and pancake the rest of the building. And I, the argument I agree with is that the, the, there was no top of the tower left because it simply disintegrates in an explosion. That, that, that's what all this debris is. They had dust like two inches thick throughout most of Manhattan. And they're, they're trying to say that, this, that the debris from the top was pushing it downward and destroying all the floor, floors below it when it appears to me at first, at first glance, you think it's the airplanes because the airplanes hit it. But I think it appears to me that the, uh, the debris is just going outward. It's there, there's nothing, there's no mass left to destroy. Here we go. There's no mass left to destroy it because it's all gone. You, it starts to fall off. See, it starts to fall off to the side. And because there's, because there's resistance underneath it, you'd think it would all fall off the side, but it just all disintegrates. That's the part that I, I find hard to believe is that all, the, all of the material is now shot out, outward. In, and there are, there are beams that ar architects and engineers guys on their videos, they, they make these arguments. Well, there, there are beams ejected into buildings, you know, hundreds of meters across the street. And that, that's, one, that's one of their main arguments is that the, the debris is not pushing down on those floors. The debris is actually outside of the floors <laughs> it's 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 out it's been ejected off to the side and so and there's a picture of some of the the beams going into other buildings the the question is what actually was the force that caused that that building to fall down like that here's another one let me let me pull this one up and then get your comment see it's at 1:30 into this video Here we're looking at the other tower. And now you can see see the top is actually disintegrating. You see that how you see that how it shrinks and then it starts to fall? That particular angle right there I think is one of the most damning is that the this is the where the damage is occurring is up here. It's supposedly the, the all the experts are saying no it starts the weight of that building was pushing down which caused the collapse. And now all of this dust cloud, all of that material is no longer a force uh, pushing down. So you can even see you can even see because I see that moving as a unit. Well, except it's not moving right here. It's it's moving somewhere in here, but it's not moving down that way. Well, the top section seems to be moving as a unit. Sort of. You watch the you'll watch this go first, right? You're pointing the tower going first. Well, I guess on that it one... It seems to there, go as a unit one... to me. Which would be consistent with the floors, the, the supports at the floors that got hit by the plane giving way. So you're saying it, it, it's plausible that it collapsed the top first? Because, I mean, that, there's, no, there's no movement. 
I mean, just visually right here. Well, if the failure happens at those floors, you're going to see the movement above, not necessarily below it. So if the failure happens there, like it's, they're starting to pancake towards that, towards that level. And there is some resistance on those floors below it, but at some point those are going to give. Well, to me, it looks like all the material is being injected out, out to the side. Yeah, there is course. a lot of material coming out. So that, this goes back to the, my point of being economical. You, you, if I tried to design my floor, you know, a, a building that I design, if I tried to design it for the weight of a whole floor falling down on it, that would be, that would, that would uh, be very difficult. It would be very expensive. I mean, just putting a pool on a parking garage yeah. is really annoying. <laughs> it just completely, completely messes. And these green roofs the that water. people do. Yeah, these green roofs that people want on the top of their buildings. Mm -hmm. It just makes it so much heavier. So imagine having that extra weight on every floor. Okay. What's, your, uh, what's then your argument to the free fall speed claim? How, if, you, if you're going to hit and have resistance and then hit again and hit again, doesn't that take longer to collapse than... I mean, you can, you can watch this, this debris is falling as, as fast as the... Uh, well, you, as fast as the building is collapsing. If, um, when I went on the architects and engineers site, I'm sure they'd put their best data in the front. And so you can see this is falling fast, as fast as the... Well, that debris is falling faster than what's falling above it, what's failing above it. You can see it's going ahead of it. See, that debris is falling down below while this is still, you know, it kind of gets ahead of the action because you're looking at the debris falling. So okay. the debris will so fall at free fall that... speed. Okay. But you can see, like in that, in that shot, you can see that there's still collapsing happening up above it. So pro progressive collapse happened. I've heard, heard people say... Oh, progressive collapse isn't a thing. And I'm like, well, yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, here's one, this one, on a parking garage, this one guy, he was shoveling the snow and you aren't supposed to pile up snow on a garage, on a parking garage. You know, it's, it's sometimes there'll be a garage des designated, okay, you can pile the snow here and it, it's a huge load. But this one guy in his huge parking garage, he was just putting all the snow in the middle. I don't know what his plan was. Mm -hmm. And then the snow filled that floor and so he was in his tractor and he rode the all, all the floors down to the bottom it was a per, per progressive collapse because you don't design the floors for that it would be outrageously expensive bulky you know no one would be able to afford a building and and so that was a progressive collapse i heard about another one while a building was being put up and that's another point i wanted to bring up is when a building is being put up you don't have the full structure together um, a building acts as a system. You know, we look at a building as like, okay, it's strong. It, all the, the walls hold up the, the roof. Um, that's from the vertical loads. You know, you have the snow load. You have just the weight of the roof. You have the weight of the floors. You know, the people walking on it. There's, there's dead load, which is the weight that is always there. There's live load, which is people, desks, uh, books, uh, bookcases, and all that stuff in a, in a house the live load is 40 pounds per square foot. Mm -hmm. So they say for every square foot, you assume 40 pounds and, and you design all your joists and all that for that. In an office, it's 100 pounds per square foot. 
So I went through all this years ago and I, and, and I, the whole progressive collapse thing is, the load is devastating. I mean, just getting to the loads that we designed for, like the 40 PSF, the 100 PSF, Mm -hmm. those loads are specified in ASCE 7. ASCE is American Society of Civil Engineers. They're the society that's been around for a long time, and they have a publication that ASCE 7 that helps you determine what loads to design for. There's vertical loads and there's horizontal lateral loads. Mm -hmm. And so your building acts as a system to design these loads. So your floor, the plywood you put in your house, the plywood on, on the house that spans the joists, those aren't just spanning your your low your your walking between the joists, your the load of you walking between the joists. They act as a sideways beam from shear wall to shear wall. So when you have wind blowing against your house, mm-hmm. the wind pushes on the walls, and then that the walls transfer the load to the, the diaphragm, either your roof or your floor, and then the, the diaphragm acts to distribute the loads to the shear walls. So shear walls are, you know, vertical walls. They are designed to take the lateral loads from side to side. Uh, one engineer I used to work with, he loved saying, look, the problems that we see on a, jobs, on a job, you know, if something goes wrong, there's something going wrong that needs to be fixed. And if something goes wrong on a job site, it can be very expensive. He said the biggest problems aren't because you didn't design your beam right or because you messed up on one connection. It's how the system works together, and that is the biggest problem that he has seen. So what happened with the towers is it totally devastated the system, the lateral force-resisting system um, at, a, at several floors. Well, I probably didn't do the whole free-fall speed argument justice here because the, these, are, these guys are very well qualified, and, have, and if you've read the articles, you can see how they measure and quantify right. free fall speed. And I'll remind you that gravity, what's the, what's the uh, equation for gravity? 9.8 meters per second squared? 9.18 meter, meters per second yeah, squared. So what that's the acceleration. The reason, that's the acceleration of gravity. So what you're seeing is you're seeing that the material that was ejected at the top is accelerating. It would definitely be falling faster as it got off to the side because it had been ejected higher than where the than where the pan, the supposed pancaking, oh, yeah, that's the, a good point. The that's supposed good point. pancaking was occurring, right? And so these these guys aren't aren't basing their reputations on a, a farcical idea that oh it's right. it's falling just as fast as the that other uh, you know the golf ball that's falling next to it. Right. Uh, this is uh, the free fall speed. I think is one of the best arguments. And if you look at all the casinos we just looked at, and then again you look at Danny Juenko here mm-hmm. in awe of uh, building seven, it's, it's very similar, except there's no debris going outwards. And that one in real time is almost frightening how fast that building collapses. And so whether, whether progressive uh, collapse or not is a real thing, I think, in my opinion, there are, there are some very serious questions that were never answered. These guys continue to harp on the NIST report, the National Institute of Standards and Technology report, they, they are one of their main concerns and the main thing they're saying is not, oh, it was a controlled demolition. You guys lied and went to war under false pretenses and all these things are wrong. The, what I like about the architects and engineers and their focus is they're like, hey, we just want a new and real investigation because it cannot be what National Institutes and Standards and Technology said. It can't be what the NIST report said because 
The NIST report only determined how the first beam could have collapsed and not how the rest of it all came down. Like the, the whole entire report, and I haven't read it, mm -hmm. but this is the argument of the architects and engineers, is that it only uh, contemplates or countenances the idea that somehow a structural beam fell and right. then that created what you're causing was a plausible pancake collapse in all three structures. And they're saying, well, it can't be that because look, free fall speed, all the material was ejected off to the side, symmetric foot. You know, it, if, if it really were that hypothesis, then we would see a bunch of other factors satisfied. And so I hope I'm adequately... Um, oh, you can't say anything, Al, because you have to be the arbiter of the debate here and make the decision on what the actual reality was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's not the listener's responsibility. No, it's listen, yours. Al, Al will be the arbiter. He will be the final word. He's no, anyway, Supreme I'm court. sorry. Go ahead and <laughs> ju jump in here. Jump in here. And I'm glad we've got a third party here because it'll be. But of course, we all have our bias. I have. I, I'm clearly biased towards the AE 911 truth view. So uh, I, what's I don't your have a, I don't have an opinion either way, actually. But my question, as more of a layperson in regards to this stuff, is: Did anything change? Like, did did anything change about how we construct high rises now? Not that I know of. But if, I, I don't I don't build high rises. But after every earthquake, especially the Northridge earthquake in ninety, forgot the year. I was in it. Which one? <laughs> the Northridge earthquake, Northridge, California. Oh, was it like 96? Something like that. Martin Luther King Day. I still remember waking up. To oh, look at that. That's why we have the internet on this uh, show. But this, this in is, this is why I'm asking, right? Is, I mean, I'm an engineer of a different sort. That's a good question because usually after every earthquake, there's new data and say, so, well, oh, yeah, we need to we, change how we, we do We do, uh, you know, like a, a fault mitigation kind of uh, study. Uh, try to find any bugs. 94, 6.7 magnitude. Right, any, any of that kind of stuff. And then what we then try to do is uh, make our product better going forward. So, right. I mean, why is there no change? Yeah, why are well, people not afraid of entering a high-rise now? If, first of all, World Trade Center 7 was not talked about. It's been erased from the, the right. public mind. And, the, it's and the, it was also, its, its destruction was announced before it fell by the BBC and by, I think, CBS. There was a woman reporting on it falling and she had the building right behind her. She reported that it fell minutes ago and it hadn't yeah. yet. So there's a, there's a lot of woo-woo conspiracy mystique surrounding Building 7. And a lot of the people that talk about Building 7 say, okay, well, if that's the case, that that kind of a high-rise can come down with that little damage, why is anybody even bold enough to enter a modern steel high-rise. Well, that's, that's, that's what that's, I'm I think thinking. what you're saying. Well, yeah. I mean, well, if, I mean, if, if, we, if it's possible to pancake, I mean, if it's possible to take down a huge high-rise like that simply by causing the top 10 floors to fail, that's disconcerting. That's, but that's a lot. I mean, they, they were but, built to withstand a certain type of an airplane impact, right? right? But your argument is that... The withstanding of the airplane impact is only to allow people to escape. It's, yeah. it's supposed to stay well, up yeah, long but, enough to... But allow. still the same. To me, it's like, if our house of cards is that unstable, how much easier of a target are they than what we've been led to believe? I mean, because everybody wants to believe in their own invincibility, right? And you're saying that buildings are built to the... 
least. <laughs> to, to, to the lowest common denominator to yeah. allow people to escape in the case of a disaster, which is reasonable to me too. Yeah. But is the lowest common denominator now just destroyed? Like on like on those those high rises. I mean, what is that like the top ten or fifteen floors? If if somebody can take out the top ten or fifteen floors and that results in the entire destruction of the building, those are a lot more fragile than I thought they would be. Yeah. And that's that's nor everybody all structural engineers understand. That's that. why that's why I brought up the quote. You know, they designed theoretically for an airplane to hit it. But they never that, did run an airplane into it. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> it's all theoretical. When I design a connection, I know, okay, I've designed certain connections. This is what I think works. There you base it on some principles, like I design a well, I design a plate, make sure that you know, you, there's all these chain links that you have to make sure work to make a connection work, and each connection is just one piece in a building. Well, not to not to not to poo-poo what you're saying, because I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. But if I'm nefarious and I understand that concept well, then that would tell me that I would have to do the bare minimum to get my my effect. Right. So regardless of whether or not it was controlled demolition from the bottom or applying force against a known fault in our building codes to start with. The I mean, they I don't know, I, I guess it could be both either way. I mean, it could have been it could have been that the terrorists did it or it could be, you know, the terrorists did it. It's just What's the origin who, of the terrorists? terrorists? And and that's a that's another huge discussion. I I hope people listening don't think I'm here to say, oh, the government is awesome. You know, I believe everything <laughs> that, I, I said about this. That's why you wanted to come on the show was to no. was to because you've been listening so that you could correct the record. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think no. I think what, I think the point. My this is what I'm hearing when I hear both of you guys discuss okay. is that no matter what, the end result is. Somebody with purpose brought down these buildings. Yeah. So who is the somebody, right? Who benefits? Well, see, that's a, who benefits? That's a so, different. That's a whole different subject. And what I what I really do admire about and like about the architects and engineers for truth presentation. So AE nine eleven truth. Those guys. All faults. I get that they've got their bias. We all got our bias. But what I like about them is they stick to their guns. They're like, hey, here's our area of expertise. We want you to do a better investigation as to why they failed because we don't think the, that the official explanation is appropriate. These, these do not have asymmetrical collapse, which would be typical of damage or fire. Mm -hmm. They have symmetrical collapse. They have uniform destruction of all the debris. It's all, that, that's the whole point of, of any sort of a controlled demolition is to cut the material into bite-sized chunks so you can take a track hoe with a thumb you know, this standard construction equipment and load it onto trucks and get rid of it quickly rather than having to have guys in there with uh, cutting torches mm -hmm. and bigger bigger pieces of demolition equipment. So there, I, I think they make a very cogent scientific argument and the fact that there's so many of them and the fact that they're widely ignored <laughs> by the mainstream I think is quite significant. And it's very similar to, like, say, the Bakersfield doctors and the epidemiologists who are 
concerned about our response to, to COVID, the, over, the overreaction and whatnot. So it doesn't prove the point. In fact, it doesn't prove anything. And so that's what's fun about this discussion is we've known each other for a long time. And, and I've been like throwing this at you repeatedly like, oh, yeah, Whitaker, <laughs> go look at this, go look at that. And so you did. And then you come back with a different opinion. I think that's, that's positive. It's good. You, and you have a background in this material. So I probably ought to actually consider that strongly. Well, then, well, although, however, my dad, I have to say this. See, my dad has some experience in this. And he's dealt with free-spanning free steel structures. So we're talking about like bridge-like structures. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, so-and-so had a failure. And, blah, and it collapsed. And I'm like, you know... If you don't, in his case, he wasn't willing to give it more than a cursory look, but you've mm-hmm. looked into it in a, in a far more detailed manner, which I appreciate because a lot of times that's the only resistance. You're probably the first person I've ever talked to who's gone, okay, here's, here's why I think differently mm-hmm. as opposed to just, well, X plus Y equals Z and therefore you're wrong. And it's like, well, no, look at the debris, look at the, look at the, the symmetric collapse. Look at the, you know, look at Stephen Jones, who was fired from BYU for just insinuating that that was a controlled demolition. You know, how, how is that responsible? (laughs) I I think that that's, that was, that was stupid to fire him. I mean, that just showed poorly on BYU. Bigotry. Like if you don't like something that someone's saying, give them data. Don't try to shut them up. Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> all the news. <laughs> oh my gosh! Isn't that like it's like a shameocracy? Yeah, right. So, and one thing, what I what I try to aim at, I try. Here's my bias as an engineer. Mm-hmm. I spend all day as I design. How is this going to fail? So I look at buildings differently. I'm like, okay, how is this going to fail? And sometimes I've th- seen things. I'm like. How is that still standing up? Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so when I look at when I look at the when I was looking at some of these towers and I see these towers with a big hole in it, and you could see that the wind is going pretty fast. I one in one of them with like the, the smoke with the yeah. smoke blowing. So you're because what happened is these towers they have, from what I understand, the the outside columns. Here's the smoke. You can see it's really pushing to one side. Yeah. So that's a heavy lateral load, and the lateral force resisting system was severely compromised. So, by what? By that huge explosion? By the plane. <laughs> by the plane. Yeah, so it's, it, but that's the thing. There was this dramatic event. It's like, look here. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Forgive me for cutting you off, but have no you problem. ever seen the movie The Prestige or The Illusionist? Yeah, didn't they come out about the same time? They're kind of. They might have. That's a good question. When did the and why did these movies come out in pairs? Armageddon and Deep Impact. Deep Impact. Yeah, it's like what's the propaganda? I, I like. What's I, the... I look at movies as propaganda. I'm like, Two... what are they trying to teach us? Two thousand six <laughs> was the Prestige, and the Illusionist was two thousand six. So this was just as everybody was getting wise to. To 9-11 and there were, there were other... And another question we have to ask is, where were the WMDs in Iraq? Yeah, good okay. question. That's a good question, See, right? that's what I like to point out. I'm like, 
Look, if, if you're suspicious about the towers and it brings you to question, that's great. Anything that t- causes you to question the government, I'm good for it. Like if you think, if you're in a flat earth and you <laughs> question the government, with the, I don't care the route. I might not agree with a certain thing, but if it causes you to question, that's great. Yeah. So anyway, the, the, the whole point of the prestige and the illusionist is these are, these are shows about magicians. Have you seen these, Al? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're great. And the, the whole idea is you get the audience focused on something, yep, and then something else happens. And they, both of these shows have great reveals at the end to show you what you thought you saw was not what actually you saw. And so that I, I feel like that's what happened with the airplanes. Is it's like you run airplanes into a building, and then you make sure they collapse. Now, if you could just collapse them with the airplanes, that's great. But... It was spectacular made-for-television news drama. Mm-hmm. And we saw the exact same... Well, not the exact same thing happen, but I think we saw something similar happen on January 6th with the, quote, capital riot, the, oh quote, insurrection against our democracy, which we've talked about a lot on this program, that, that there, were, there were a million people there and they were unwitting participants in a made-for-TV movie. Yeah, it was a show. It was a show. And then and you got Buffalo Hat Man. And anyway, Bobby's yeah. gone off about all this stuff for, for a long time. You'll have to listen to maybe some of these. I don't know if you'll want to. Al may not want to be on the, listening to the podcast anymore after this. <laughs> but once was enough. But I, I, <laughs> I love digging, in, you know, digging into this stuff. I've been digging into stuff for years. You know, I told me my bias was, um, you know, I look at buildings as, I look at ways for them to fail. Yeah. And what's interesting, we've spent a little bit of time talking about uh, temperament types, which I hope, while Bobby's gone, to get a friend of mine on who's really in tune with people, right. and, he, and he just knows stuff about people just by looking at them. I think he's got some spiritual gifts, but also some pattern recognition things. And so what's funny is, Al, you come from a, a quadrant of people that we call a water type. You're a little more touchy-feely, more subject... You, even though you're like a very logical person, uh, Al, by the way, is a... What would you, without giving too much information away, there's tons of guys like you out there that are, can we call you a computer engineer? Sure. Yeah. Very, he's, he's very, very smart. He's very touchy feeling. V- very he's technical, but he's, he's super, me. he's. <laughs> that was an accident. No, it was not an accident. <laughs> well, you still liked it. <laughs> you like this. No, Al's definitely got a soft side that he's sometimes not willing to admit, but he gets it. But you're, you're what we call a water type. You're more of like a, a people helper, like a, somebody that, you know, understands and you can really, really help connect with people and help them. And I don't want to go so far as to say a hippie or something like that, but you've got some of those tendencies, I think, and it's just kind of built into you. And uh, Whitaker and I come from a quadrant that would be, so you're more the springtime type of, if, if we were to divide these temperaments or personality types into different seasons, you'd be spring. Whitaker and I would be winter. Um, you'd be a, uh, an improver, a helper, and we would be flaw finders. <laughs> and so, and you get that because you know us. And so well, it's funny because uh, as Whitaker's describing his job, he's spending all day, every day finding flaws. And you enjoy what you do, right? Uh, when, as long when as you're done. Not, when it's done? <laughs> when the building is up. Oh, great. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, I, I, yeah, I enjoy what I do. But there is, are moments of chaos before you gather all the elements together and bring the job together and you feel like you're on a good track. Tell us about architects. Oh, my God. 
I'm just kidding. It's funny because in the lead up to this podcast, we had a we had an episode where uh, the whole family went off on architects because engineers and architects sometimes have a sometimes butt heads. We see things different. That's that? okay. I I I I uh, from what I say about architects, I'm uh, I talk more than I really mean. You know, I just kind of complain sometimes. I've been involved with some really awesome buildings and it's been a pain to work through the details with the architect, but in the end, the end product was good, but it, oh my gosh, they're just different types of people than I am. <laughs> so I remember, I remember doing early consultation on this building. I work for producers, so we don't, I don't always directly interact with architects, um, but like he was talking about this building and I'm just like, I have no clue what you just said. He's talking about the form and all this stuff. And I'm just like touchy feely stuff. Like your stuff. <laughs> Al. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, they they want to make it look good. And I'm like, look, let's just have a box that's just square and no windows, please. <laughs> They're like, can we put a built, put an opening here? No, I don't want to. I just want a box. <laughs> No windows. It'll stand up stronger this Yeah, time. it'll be great. <laughs> Can we have a transfer beam over this pit? No. But you have to, and then you have to. But anyway, so there's a lot that I've thought about, and I haven't been able to. Well, since, put since it all we again. kind of are bridging a gap here, let's put to, let's put to rest the um, the 911 dis, uh, destruction of the three the three skyscrapers that fell on 9-11. That's the first thing that everybody needs to be aware of if they haven't looked at 9-11 is that there were three skyscrapers, not just two, but there were only two airplanes. What was in that building? Why, you know, why, why did all these things happen? Those are good questions. Let's put that subject to rest. Uh, can we talk about modeling first? Okay, sure. Because you talked about how the NIST report only talked about an initial failure. Okay, but before, okay, before we go off on that non-tangent onto my other tangent, okay. uh, I just want to say I'd lo- what I'd love to shift into, and you're going to have to weigh in. You get to be the final judge on whether 9-11 was a controlled demolition or not. But, okay. Okay. Yes or no? <laughs> so, solve the question for our listeners. But then let's talk about what makes a good society. What, what kind mm-hmm. of – let's talk about Zion. Let's talk about what kind of things we would do differently – and get everybody's thoughts on, you know, where do we go from here? What, what kind of, because we got to come back to the poem Invictus. I am the what? Master. Master of? My soul. My soul. I am the captain of my? Oh, I'll have to pull that Of up. a ship, of a car, <laughs> of a brigade. It's his destiny, I believe. The, the point is, we spend a lot of time worrying about the national news. And I think we need to start thinking about our local societies and what we can do better to be better as we see clearly that the society has just gone crazy. It's just gone bonkers. So anyway, back to modeling. But that's where I want to go Yeah. when you finish your thought. Oh, modeling. So from what I read on the architects and engineers site, they said, oh, well, the... You know, your modeling stopped at failure, and it's very difficult to model something. I've always thought it was hilarious how um, these global warming people, these scientists, 
model the globe and consider how the globe is going to warm because of CO2. And I think, okay, I tried modeling a stair tower. But we usually model things very simply, get some information we need to do to design. If you try to do a completely comprehensive model of everything, all your assumptions pile up on each other, giving you more possibility of crap answer. And so it's laughable to me about the modeling. And there's linear modeling uh, where, so like so take a paper clip and you, you know, bend it out to where it stays, to, to where you bent it. Um, so you get one of the legs and you bend it. And You're talking about metal fatigue here? Yeah. No. Plastic versus elastic. So oh, if you okay. take that, that paper clip and you bend it all the way out to where it stays in the shape that you just bent it. Which is plastic. You, you entered the plastic region. If you bend it just a little to it where springs, it bounces back it to where it was, back. that's its elastic region. So there's the stress train, strain curve that's very you need to know about in engineering. And most of the modeling that we do is in the elastic region. And... You know, if you start to design for seismic resistance and all that stuff, some advanced engineering can take you into the plastic region, but it starts to become really voodoo out there. I mean, it's bad enough in the elastic region. So once you get to the point where you've broken off the the paperclip, all bets are off. Yeah. So modeling is very, very difficult. How do it's? I don't know. I I don't have. I model stuff, and I I'm very. you know, I have my master's. I, I understand how modeling works. And I learned all that. And I see some people model stuff and they just throw crap in. And it's like, okay. you can't really, you have to be careful what you trust on your modeling. And it, so when I saw that explanation, I'm like, yeah, I can understand why they would have stopped because you can get some voodoo answers that could go either way. There's one thing, uh, and I had this, I like being very precise with my designs and my, uh, the boss I work with, other engineer, he likes to, he used to talk me off the ledge sometimes because I, I want to get all the details right. I'm like, oh, because in engineering, you, you want to make sure your load, your uh, element can handle the load, but you also, which is equally important, have to make sure load doesn't go in another direction. So I don't want my, so I'm going to make this connection really strong. And the connection is designed to handle a wind, wind load going in another direction. But if I make it so strong that it takes the vertical load, then it's taking more, then it's taking on more than I designed for. That's what I want to avoid. So knowing so what saying, to design for and what to avoid are two. Okay, so it's kind of a compromise between the vertical and the horizontal, is what you're saying. Um, no. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Because I was on a bearing pad, I'm like, okay, over time this bearing pad is going to deflect. It's going to creep down. I don't want my top connection that I welded there to take that load. Well, if you're if you're still listening to the podcast and you understand all of this stuff, oh, sorry, did I put you to sleep? <laughs> you, you've gotten into some serious technical jargon, but I think our listeners are smart enough to uh, decipher most of it. But bearing pads and connections. I'm, I've got some imagination going on in my mind here. But modeling is difficult. May, may or may not be correct. My all, all, I'm, all I'm seeing is like um, like you have a flat surface, and say you have a stick on the flat surface, and like if I was if I put something on top of that stick and then the stick drops down, now all of a sudden the stick on top has to support more of the weight, right? Because you've just, you've just dropped its support down. Right. So then, I mean, if you compound that on multiple stories, yeah, I could see how that could be problematic. 
Well, what's the verdict, Al? Well, uh, what Winston Churchill, I don't know if he stole it from somebody or if he was the first, but, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah, who benefited? It wasn't, but it wasn't <laughs> so, the Muslims. But here's, here's the deal, yeah, right? it wasn't the Muslims. So here's the, here's, here's the deal to me, is I look at it and I say, okay, um, regardless of who or what caused the problem, our reaction to it was just incredibly wrong. Well, I mean, it's still going what, on. What, what resulted from it was the enrichment of a, a small portion of people here in the United States more than anybody else. Yeah. We did an episode, it was episode number eight, where we did a deep dive on the behavior of the secret combination, how they will pump a crisis and then dump. So like the war on drugs, sort of the 80s and 90s was a big deal. And then you've got the war on terror, which has run for about 20 years, and now it appears they're dumping that after having pumped it. They're not totally dumping it, but the, but it's the new the new hotness, the new crisis is the war on coronavirus, which again is an invisible enemy. All three of these are hard to define enemies. They're invisible. They're hard to stop, and we're going to declare war on them, which is just the excuse to be stupid. Well, and there's obvious me, inconsistencies with it, like. Where's the WMD? Well, to me, it's this, right? There's nothing better than a patsy. So you say you've got some people who are terrorists who are planning on doing something that's absolutely stupid, right? They're going to sacrifice their lives in order to make a statement. Get out of their way, right? And prepare for the fallout. I mean, it's kind of like putting a... It's kind of like insider trading almost regardless the people who made the money are more than likely the people who's responsible regardless of whether they planted bombs or let someone else do the bombing yeah so to me it, keep, do, it doesn't on. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it was the united states government who planted bombs or if it was a private contractor or if you just let the if you just let the terrorists do it all on their own Right. Maybe it went further than you thought it would. Maybe it didn't. Maybe you had designs for something else to happen. Maybe they thought there was going to be a third plane and that didn't happen. Right. Maybe the one that went into the Pentagon was the one that was supposed to go into Building 7 and you had to scramble. Or who knows? The people who made the money, the people who benefited, the people who sacrificed human life to get gain, they're at fault. Well, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, and the mistake we all made, because we were not responsible as Americans for anything that went on, you know, the, the people that are responsible are the evil people that perpetrated it, whoever they are, as Al has pointed out. And we, where we got tricked was we forgot to follow the age-old moral justifications for going to war or using lethal force, which is, did we actually have an imminent threat? And... Yeah, if, if somebody's going to be stupid and engage in terrorism, they're going to do that. But there is not, after that event occurs, you clean up and wait and watch because there is no imminent threat right after that. And the Bush administration or the government or the oligarchy worked really hard to find, to, to, to create enough fear to induce America into thinking we had an imminent threat. And they literally in the, I think I've linked to, linked to this in the podcast on the on the website pages before, mindvirus.show, I've linked to the Bush National Security 
strategy memo of 2002 where they literally said, we need to adapt our concept of imminent threat to the capabilities and the objectives of our enemies. And remember, you as an individual are held to the standard of ability, opportunity, and jeopardy. You have to have all three of those conditions satisfied to shoot somebody on the street if they're, you know, if they're menacing you. Like if I have a knife right here, I have ability, right? In this right here, I can get either of you guys, right? With my knife. So I have capability and opportunity, but I certainly hope you don't feel in jeopardy. I haven't been waving it around and running amok and, right. you know, swearing, spouting, yeah, saying, saying stuff, yeah. So, so that's the problem is you have to have all three conditions satisfied. And after 9-11, we didn't have those conditions satisfied. We did, and, and the government at the time literally said, okay, we're going to change the definition. It was an age-old definition that had stood since at least the Treaty of Westphalia when the, the rulers of Europe kind of got together and said, hey, enough with the warring under silly pretenses. Let's at least say we're not going not gonna to go to war without a, an imminent threat. So, and if you believe in the Book of Mormon... And, and we've talked about the Book of Mormon a little bit on the podcast. Yeah. You don't go into someone else's lands to attack them. You will yeah. not get God's blessing. Right. Can you, can you pull a reference out of your hat on that one? No. Okay. Well, I don't remember I'll look exactly. For it. I'll look for it. No, preem- no preemptive strikes. Yeah. I know... Well, because like they wanted to go up into the hills and attack the Gadiantans. And, oh, yeah, that's right. And it was like, so no, you, you don't the, go, you, you defend. That was you the Laconius issue. And then you saw the pattern also followed by Moroni when Amalekiah was going to go to the Lamanites and he was going to take the army over to the Lamanites. Nephi, or not Nephi, Moroni heads off the armies and Amalekiah escapes. And right then he had totally, he knew what Amalekiah was going to do. He could have said, hey, they're going to start a war. Let's go get them right now. But he said, no, we, def- we pull back. We defend. Yep. We- and a lot of people think that he's really heavy-handed with the, the armies of the Nephites for forcing them back into service. But remember, when you make a covenant, when you have a contract or a, an agreement with a people, you need to fulfill that agreement. Mm-hmm. So he, yep. he was famous also for letting people depart in peace. Yeah. And so the issue was, are you departing in peace or are you still a warrior? You know, and, and so if you're going to be a warrior, you've agreed to warrior with us. He, yeah. he many times uh, was willing to let the, the Lamanites depart in peace. Okay, let's say at least we can agree on one thing here, this trifecta of the minds. And that is, when the news media starts to push the alien invasion narrative, ask questions. Don't overreact. <laughs> Think, think for yourself. Yeah. I think it's almost, it looks like that, that actually might be coming. They've yeah, been talking really, about declass, they've been declassifying yeah. UFO stuff. They've been talking about it a lot more. It's weird. Well, there's nothing better to unify people than a common threat. Exactly. So, welcome to common threat. Welcome to common threat world. Yeah, crisis, uh, rule, Rule by crisis, management by crisis is what we're, I think we're experiencing. Okay, yeah. tell us, uh, let's talk about, well, maybe not Zion, but... That, that word is a, tainted for Zion people. Zion is a tough, yeah, Zion's a tough word. Israel, Zionism, you know. Yeah, well, plus, yeah, there's the state of Israel, there's this, there's this uh, idea of Zion coming from above, being more of a terrestrial 
higher level place. What do, what do we do? Let's start with you, Al. Give us some thoughts on what makes a good society juxtaposed against what we're doing right now. This is a topic I love to talk about with Bobby when he's here on the podcast. For me, it's self-government. What does that mean? Well, because a lot of people would say you have self-government right now. Oh my, please. Well, Sorry. <laughs> I need to stop. I keep going, oh, scoff. Okay. I think Joseph Smith said it really, really well when someone asked him how he kept all of his people in line, which is, I teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves. Now, teaching people correct principles is difficult. Okay. Um, getting people to have commonality on correct principles is also difficult. Mm-hmm. Right? What is charity? What is love? Right? Is, is love stopping someone from doing anything that could possibly harm them? I mean, Satan would argue that, would you not? Um, or is love letting people have the experience um, and pulling them out before they've uh, you know, crossed the final curtain? Well, a lot of parents would say that's okay. Or, or is love letting people have their choice to the very end, right? Isn't that, what, isn't that what God does for us? I mean, if you want to commit suicide, God's not going to stop you. I mean, it's a so terrible... Love, love is agency? Love is freedom in is that it, sense? Is it, though? Is it? I, well, you're asking the question. Right. It's, so what are the correct principles? And then what is self-government? And I say, I believe it is self-government. It's the right to be able to choose, Right. But then, Zion is a society, right? As soon as you start getting past an individual, you're not not just working on self-government, you're working on societal government, then you have to have some sort of agreement on what is considered okay in terms of those principles. And in society, we call those laws, right? Or customs, right? Well... If you're, if you're going to be punitive, it's laws. Right, you're right. That's the right? way we look at it right now. Now, if they're non-punitive, you can call them customs. The, the problem that we have as a society is a lot of times we treat our customs like laws when they're not. Um, they're, and, and you shouldn't condemn anyone on a custom. Uh, can you give me an example of a custom? Smoking and drinking. Okay. Okay, that there, there's, it's customary among certain cultures to imbibe in alcohol. Well, for Japanese culture, you don't really know a person until you've gotten drunk with them. Okay, you don't really know their heart. In fact, it's okay for you to get drunk with your boss and you can totally chew out your boss and they can't hold it against you. I mean, they might if they're dicks, but the, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Family program. But Sorry, guys. The, they, rewind, they might. The tape, rewind the tape and cover your kids' ears before... Um, Go back in time. Al, but Al's really a good guy. I mean, I've known him for a long time. I had no idea that was going to happen. Sorry, not sorry. Okay, okay. keep going. So, so the, the idea culturally is that uh, they're not supposed to hold it against you. and You're supposed to be able to freely speak your mind, and they're supposed to just take it. But in our culture, in, in, here in Utah, uh, drinking is very, very frowned upon. And if you were to imbibe and say something inappropriate, you would definitely expect that they would hold it against you. That's cultural. Yeah. Right? There is no law saying any of that, whether to hold them accountable or not, or whether drinking is bad or not. It's completely a cultural thing. Right? So here we are. There was a law against drinking. There used to be. In the whole nation. 
Sure. Prohibition, right? Absolutely. That went really well. And the government poisoned alcohol that was illegal to kill people who drank it to enforce that. Say that again. Did you not know that? You got to explain that. So, Say that again. Like people could get it illegally, and I, from my understanding, is that there was one time where the government poisoned a bunch of it. We're gonna have to look that. Yeah, up. Yeah, have to look that up. So the go- the government. Well, we which, do it. We do government? it right now. The if federal government. If you don't have yeah. a liquor's license to brew, you have to denature your alcohol. And that's basically poisoning your alcohol. You can still use it for fuel, mm-hmm. but it's called denatured alcohol. So there was an episode where the government poisoned some alcohol to kind of like remove the riff discourage people from discourage people from using it drinking it. it. Yeah, that's my understanding. Sorry, I don't have a source. I remember stuff and don't remember sources. That would have been the okay. FBI. They're the ones in charge of it, right? We'll, we'll look. We'll look for the source and uh, see if we can post a link here on the on the website. Interesting stuff. So, so get, getting back to what you were saying is self government require once we have, and, and I think I'm tracking with you. I, I think I agree with you what you're saying here because self government is best. But self-government must be based upon correct principles. And what are the correct principles is the big issue. Right. Because when you have more than one person, you have to have at least some sort of an understanding about how the other guy is going to act and how you should act toward, you know, in relationship to them so that we can, we can hold each other to a certain justice or standard or level of behavior otherwise it's just cats and dogs sleeping together running amok you know the sky is falling and nothing the, the fewer chaos. the fewer principles that you can adhere to the fewer principles as a whole that you can agree upon the better okay and the reason why is you can always make things more complicated so how do you feel how would you feel about a society that was built upon that exchange with Jesus where they, he was asked what is the most, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love God with all your heart, mind, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm-hmm. Is that enough? I think that would be a great place to start. You might also look at what Paul said, which is, he goes along this huge litany of different things that you could do or different things that you could be. But in the end, he caps it with, but if you have not charity, you're nothing. So, and then later on in the scriptures, it says, what is charity? Charity is the pure love of Christ. It vaunteth not itself, mm-hmm. is neither puffed up, etc., etc. So, well, what, if, I, what, if we were to, what if we were to put that right over the top of uh, be charitable to God and, and be charitable to your neighbor, right? Like, yeah. unto you, like unto the charity that you ascribe to yourself. Well, see, I like where you were going with love because love is a tricky concept. And I think... There are a lot of people out there that need to reassess what that really means. You know, if you really love, so there's a there's a sting song. If you love someone, I'm good. If if you love someone, let them go. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. You know what I really like? I like Shrek. He says ogres are like onions, right? They have layers. Yeah. I like words and I like concepts that have layers, that have you have the ability to be able to start. Um, delving into them to ask questions and not necessarily come up with concrete answers. What is love? Right? What is charity? Right? Well, there's that song from the 80s. What is love? It's Howard J- Jones, right? Mm-hmm. What is love anyway? Does anybody love anybody anyway? Sure. I mean, what a great question. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth questioning. I think it's worth thinking on. I mean, uh, what was it? Um, the movie with Tom Cruise when he goes and he's a samurai. Last Samurai. The Last Samurai. Okay. So Tom Cruise is the Last Samurai and he's talking to that guy just before he dies and he's watching the... Mm-hmm. Or was it that scene? Well, anyway, he's looking at the cherry blossoms and he said, a life spent contemplating a cherry, a cherry blossom would not be a uh, wasted life. Are you sure that's not in Kung Fu Panda? Might be in that too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't watched that one in a while. But the, it, just, the way, just the way he delivered it and, uh, just made me think about it. I was thinking, you know, could you spend your entire life contemplating something like love and would it be wasted? Or charity and would it be wasted? Or the beauty of a mountain stream or a cherry blossom. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. And if you were spending your time contemplating those things, how much time would you have to be a... Um, uh, Family I was, program. I was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, about a, to happen. A less than savory individual. Yeah, less than savory individual. That's good. An L-T-S-I. An L-T-I. I think we just coined a new phrase for the... the Bobby Flood, Jordan Bruno, Omniverse. We, we had an idea a few podcasts so, so back that we were going we to do a, an accredited school where you could learn from the, the Flood, Bruno, Omniverse. So now you've just contributed to the Omniverse. We have an LTSI, a less than savory individual. Awesome. That's better than... A jerk? I was thinking of a word that started with A and ended with O. <laughs> <laughs> or two words. So yeah. So I know that's what, uh, what Al here was thinking. To me, Zion is people striving with intent to understand basic concepts of humanity. And let me say this simply. This life is temporary. Everything here is temporary. The universe is going to go in... I mean, in thermodynamics, eventually, we're just going to go down to heat loss, right? And it'll be done. Uh, so... You're talking about the increasing disorder, second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes to entropy. What do they call it? The heat death of the universe? I think that's the I, phrase. I don't, know if what's, I, but, I don't know if that's what they call it, but I'll tell you what. You're fitting right in here because we've talked a lot about how this world is in entropy. It's fallen... So, and, and there are greater things ahead. So let's let's assume that as an axiom. Yep. And then say from there, what of this life is actually eternal? And to me, and you don't have to agree, it is the interactions between individuals within a society. And that society could be, if, if it's just yourself, then what's the point? Right. Right. What's a kingdom without the, the subjects? You know, it's not the gold, it's not the horses, it's not the, um, you know, the balls and all the fancy things. It's the people. Right. There, there's this poem. It was on a wall when I went on my mission. And I've remembered it for a long time. And I actually added another set of stanzas to it. It goes, just a tiny little minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to me to use it. Give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute. But eternity is in it. And then I added this part. I said, time is such a precious thing. It's not given to us to waste. Then again, there's so much of it, it's hard to not lose pace. Sometimes I ask the question, why am I here anyway? And if there were no answer, it wouldn't matter if time passed away. 
So very good. So when when I look at it, I say, okay, what are the eternal things? What are the things of value that we want to have that go on through eternity, through celestial um, ascension, right? And you say, is it this body? Is it this floor? Is it this cave, right? Is it, or is it this interaction? Is this interaction timeless? If my mind doesn't die, then it is, right? And what about this, this connection that we, that we formed in this moment? Mm-hmm. Is that timeless? If I don't forget it, it is. Right? Is it eternal? That, that's timeless, right? So if this is what goes beyond, this is what we're supposed to cultivate in Zion. I shouldn't be doing things that would create a barrier for me to create a connection to you. I shouldn't be doing things that would cut your connection to somebody else. Those things are what destroys Zion. Whereas anything that builds those up, those eternal things, creates it. So I, I'm, I think that's all important. I'm stuck on your poem. So give us the last two, st- two stanzas that you added about about knowing yourself, I think, is what it was. I said, time is such a precious thing. It's not given to us to waste. Right. Then again, there's so much of it, it's hard to not lose pace. Sometimes I ask the question, why am I here anyway? And if there were no answer, it wouldn't matter if time passed away. Okay. So, a couple of thoughts on that. And again, I don't want to detract from anything you just said about Zion and the, or the heavens and uh, the interpersonal relationships and the bonds we form and the knowledge we gain and the experience we gain being the things that, that transcend this mortal, finite, entropic world. I don't, I don't want to take away from that at all because I think that's important. Um, but I really, liked, I really liked the way you modified the poem there, added to it. We, we talk a lot about the hero's journey on this podcast. And one of those things is knowing your mission, you know, and you, and, and so Alma in, I believe it's uh, chapters 39 through 42 somewhere. He explains to his son Corianton that time is given unto men to repent. Essentially the point of time, the reason we're caught in time is to give us a chance to change to repent or change our minds, change our hearts, expand our hearts and minds and our thoughts to be greater than what we are. And part of that is knowing your mission and also knowing who you are. And I'm reminded of Saturday's Warrior. I keep calling it Saturday Night's Warrior (laughs) because of Saturday Night Live as I keep talking to people about it. But I watched watched part of it. I didn't watch the whole thing because it's kind of cheesy. <laughs> it's almost it's funny. Jesus. It's funny. Well, it's good. It's actually good. So, uh, John, who you know on our last podcast, you also know him. We were talking about music. So we we're talking about music, and he mentioned Saturday's Warrior, and so I ended up. It's on YouTube if you want to watch it. But now I'm gonna. Oh, I, I linked to it last time. Yeah. Anyway, it's actually really good. You can take it as a an institutional piece. 
but what they do is they address the pre-mortal life and they, they address the sociality of the people, the intelligences, the beings that are there as we are here. And, you know, Joseph Smith famously said, you know, the same sociality that exists here exists in the heavens. And he's where he where he makes a departure from both the Gnostics, the overly Gnostic symbolic people and the traditional Trinitarian Christianity is he's. Christianity is he says God is an individual entity with an identity and a personality and he's separate from us in a real way and he has a body but yet we can be at one with him so it's like a it's not really a mix like a haphazard mixing of the worlds it's very much a recognition of who we are and so then to part part of that hero's journey part of the the reason that we're here in time is to recognize that we, being created in the image of God, need to be godly. And to we need to remember or be reminded of who we are and what we're supposed to do here so that we can actually be godly. And we can perform the function, the reason we came here, into time. And, and then rise triumphant in the resurrection. And so the great thing about Saturday's Warrior, again, besides the fact that it's it brings the mystical excitement back into Mormonism, you know, it's funny because they make fun of the missionaries and they make fun of the kids that are quote-unquote evil. <laughs> and and they it's all centered on family, right? You know, you've got, you've got the big dance scenes around the cars yes, and they're yes. trying to pull the one the one brother away. And then you've got the his twin sister who teaches him probably the most important thing in the movie, which is what I've been building up to, is she says, look, freedom is knowing who you are. And then that's something that really impacts the, the love interest of the older sister. You know, they, they, they come to earth and she, she's enamored with the missionary, but then she ends up being the soulmate of the, uh, the, uh, one, the one convert that he has. And he's really touched by this whole freedom is knowing who you really are. And he's been searching for that his whole life. He's been trying to understand and put his finger on what, what that is. But, but I think that's a big deal. And not, not just knowing who you are, but, but knowing why you're here and what you're supposed to do. That real quick, before you comment, I wanna, I'll, I'll post a link to this in the, on the website page. But there's an, a tablet that was found at Patelia... Greece, they often call it the Orphic Hymn, but this is a really cool golden tablet. So this is this is a, a real life example. If you're a Book of Mormon hater, here is a real life example of a gold plate. Okay, <laughs> this is a. This oh is no a, no, it's a talus completely. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, this is a, a sheet of gold metal upon which they found it's a fragment, but they found this really important esoteric inscription, and. I don't think we talked about it very much, but this the great axiom, the hermetic axiom that comes out of Greece or the, the great axiom that comes out of the esoteric traditions is the the thing that Socrates said, which was know thyself. Gnothe seauton. Know thyself. That's that's one of the great secrets. And here is this Orphic Orphism was a later, it was after the Pythagorean tradition, but this is a, a temple mystery tradition that developed in Greece where 
you know, these, we have evidence of people who are engaged in the same types of discussions we are about knowing yourself and finding out what's beyond and, and getting out of Plato's cave, taking the red pill, getting out of the matrix, whatever you want to call it, waking up from the dream, from the dream state, as we discussed last time when we were talking about uh, Queensryche, uh, silent lucidity. So here's the, this, this is to the initiate, those that are interested in higher knowledge, greater knowledge. And so the instruction from the gold tablet at Patelia, and this is third, second or third century, so BC, so it's very old, says, you will find a spring on your left in Hades halls and by it the cypress with this luminous sheen. But do not go near this spring or drink of its water. You will find another cold water flowing from memory's lake and its guardians stand before it. Say to them, I am a child of earth and starry heaven, but my race is of heaven alone. You, the guardians, you yourselves know this. Now I am parched with thirst and I'm dying. Quickly give me the cool water flowing from memory's lake to drink. And then they will give you the water from the sacred spring and you will join the heroes at their rites. So this, this is interesting because it's the same, again, the same idea that we, we once were greater than this. And we've come down here into the, the dark world for a certain reason. And we need to get that memory restored. We need to, to understand that. So we're, a little bit, we're off on a little bit of a tangent from the Zion discussion. But I do think that people who are capable of making a better society care about that sort of thing. And that they... They recognize that it's the relationships and the self-improvement and the self-recognition that, that will make a society great. Going back to what was said in The Last Samurai, focusing, saying a life spent contemplating a cherry blossom would not be a wasted life. The thing that I was trying to get across with that, and maybe I did or didn't, but the it's... Spending your life doing something of value is unwasted. And if that value is, the value to you is the contemplation of a cherry blossom, that's worthwhile. So that's really difficult in our rat race of a world right now, isn't it? Absolutely. And the reason why is because we are very, very focused on our individuality. But you're Um, also... Aren't we also sort of under the gun to like pay for the insurance and pay for the taxes and pay for the <laughs> to pay for the oppression? That's <laughs> that's because you yeah. have that's because in that context you have bought into one society but yet want to live in another. Is there any way you can get out of it? Yes, you just leave. So do you, what do you dis- disavow your social security number? Do you? I mean. It depends become, on how far you want to go. It depends on how far you want to go. What do you What do you think of all this, Whitaker? What are your thoughts on what makes a good society? Oh, and how to get out? How, how, what, what is there anything we can do to change our situation right now? Uh, first is to break out of your the mind prison. Okay. I like that. You've heard me say that plenty of times, I'm sure, here, that we're in yeah. a mind prison or that we're, we're pregnant with 
someone else's ideas. <laughs> we have a mind problem. The mind, mind has been inseminated. You're carrying someone else's baby in your Bob, mind. Yeah, Bobby doesn't like it if I say mind rape. Oh, you did it. I, like, I was <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, it's a program. Yeah. So, um, uh, okay, so break out of the lots, mind. Lots of words came down. <laughs> lots of ideas clogged in my brain. So breaking out of the mind prison is, is the first thing. That comes back to um, uh, that, that comment I had shared with you and you read it about it was murder among the Mormons and the guy said, um, what was his name? Hoffman. Hoffman. He's, he said, I can make my own reality. And he, he, what, what happens is he forged a coin and he sent it in to get it certified. And they came back and said, yes, this is authentic. So in his mind, I created something. It's real. The, because they said it was real, it was therefore real. That's what's crazy about this world is somebody says it's real and that's yeah. what is real. And right now, you know, we just the very definition of art. Speaking of that, hold the thought. Did you see there was an artist that sold a, a work of art that was an invisible space? For nine thousand dollars, was it? Eighteen thousand dollars. Oh, eighteen. Did you see that headline? I saw the headline. Yeah. It's Did like the emperor's it? new clothes. Yeah. I read that story as a kid, and I thought, who would ever be that dumb? <laughs> well, apparently, we found someone for eighteen thousand units of currency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so keep that, that fake virtue. That's what I want to talk about. Fake virtue, right now. They just had the G seven summit. We're all are all standing apart or you know their virtues fake virt like a, oh because they, they've got their masks on none of them are vaccinated or what well apparently they <laughs> must well every single one of them is vaccinated that's well the theoretically they're the gene therapy masquerading as a vaccination yeah sure 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 and okay but it's just this it's just been cringy this this past year is the fake virtue that is imposed it's hold not on. a real virtue hold on a second you, you told me one time you were going to get the vaccine at a certain point when was that no, I never did. No, you said you would do it at a certain... You would consider it after... Oh, after the human trials were over. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so anyway. I just, after 30 I just years. See, I just 30 years down the road. Well, I, I said at minimum 10. <laughs> 10 years till so the human mo- trials are over? Yeah, to me, it's like most people, they don't realize that when you're messing with RNA, you, you will get a lot of what you plan for, but you also get a percentage of what you don't plan for. And it's not the stuff that you plan for that's the problem. It's the stuff that you don't plan for that's the problem. Yeah. So, like, say I have a chunk of RNA that's supposed to go and recode, uh, you know, some sort of response to uh, COVID-19 in my T-cells. Great. It works wonderful. What about the snippet that's not quite right? Or the one million or two billion snippets that are in that syringe that are not quite right? Sure. Those are the ones that, you know, you know it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff that we need to be able to figure out through trial. Right. So it's whoever gets those batches. I really I, I feel for them already. Oh, yeah. We just it's it's totally experimental, first of all. And by the way, I've heard tell in multiple places of like people who are dying. They, they, they're not attributing it to the vaccine, but there's families that are being very careful when somebody dies because the insurance will not life insurance will not pay out. If it's a death attributed to the vaccine, because it's experimental, by the way. Mm-hmm. So there what? is massive. There's massive. I heard about that. Absolutely, because it's not an act. It's not an act of God at that point. Yeah, it's they, they won't pay out for the pandemic because it's a pandemic, and that's written in the contract. But they won't pay out for the experimental vaccine because it was unnecessary. Right. 
so yeah, if you've got you've got massive problems here with these perverse incentives going on. Anyway, I der- I der- derailed you. I derailed you, mm-hmm. and uh, is, as is my uh, common tendency here on the program, just to get the comment from Al on the human trials. But, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know if I'm. Where were Virtue you? is the right <laughs> word, but this fake virtue, like fake virtue. Oh, yeah, like, virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. The people with the mask who like really get into it and they're not just grudgingly put it on. It's like I am virtuous. Look at me. I'm putting this mask on. I am social distancing. It's like this fake virtue imposed by the state all over the freaking world. All over the world. <laughs> like, how did this happen all over the world? Well, we got we got warmed up with social media. Isn't. Do, I, I think I could write a book, and you guys tell me if you think this would be a good topic. Social media caused virtue signaling. That's the that's the not the title, but social media killed the world, and the whole subject of the uh, so the title would be social media killed the world. But the whole subject of the book is how social media creates virtue signaling, and that's what killed us. And it also was the thing that killed Jesus. Do you guys well, know what gamification is? Gamification? Yeah, it, in, G-A-M-E. Like game. I F I C A T I O N. Like video game? Right. So the whole idea behind gamification is to take something that is blase. Okay. And turn it into a dopamine inducing environment. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what does social media do with things? It gives you dopamine. Exactly. How? By the likes, the notifications. Likes, notifications, accolades. uh, Connection. We get get dopamine from connection with you. Exactly. Uh, it's exactly what does drive Zion. It's a false Zion, right? The whole idea behind Zion is to create connection, to create a society of like-minded people where the like-mindedness is towards truth. Social media and the gamification of the human psychology is a false Zion. You are good because you, and now just start ramping on the popular checkboxes. I'm I'm double-masked. Oh, I'm triple masked, and I got my vaccine. <laughs> but, but I'm so glad I no, no, left no, just, Facebook now. Just stop there and stop there and and give yourself just a dose of charity, okay? And say, what is it that they are missing in their life that they're trying to fill with this social gamification? Jesus, whatever it is, right? Sure. So you start going down that list, and instead of finding disgust or impatience or derision towards these individuals all of a sudden you start finding sorrow because you see someone who has a hollow existence where their feel goods their dopamine their serotonin about themselves is all because they did something that was socially acceptable and it could be as stupid as a fourth mask well it's it's typical of our of, of the society throughout history that this type of behavior becomes common. And I think it's very typical of the Pharisees that crucified the Christ. That, that's literally what the whole law of Moses was, was a big chance to... What was their social gamification? It's really easy to see. Go ahead. Pharisaic law. Right, that's what I'm saying. Because you would get... Uh, you would get... This all, I have done, this all I have done since my youth. Right, you get flattered by everybody else by doing the things that everybody, that the society one thing, rewarded. One thing you lack yet. Go and sell all that thou hast. Give it unto the poor and follow me. Right. So what did he have, you ask, what was it that you had to do 
in order to be able to become a member of Zion. And Christ answered that right there for the gamified youth. Right, you have to give it all up. Yeah, you have to dump everything that's attaching you to your society's fake Zion. But it wasn't just things, because he goes on later. Here, I have to pound the table at least once during the episode. There's twice. <laughs> three. Um, <laughs> three times. Yeah, see, he goes on to talk to the, to the disciples about it. They ask him, well, we're following you. Are we, you know, aren't we doing the right thing? And he says, look. If you're asking willing, that question, then you've kind of missed the boat. Well, he's saying point. any man that's not willing to give up his, his wife, his children, his, his father, mother. I mean, he talks about relationships. It's this not is, that they do it. It's that they're willing. But it's not the giving up of them. It's the sellout for truth. Because this is what I've experienced in my awakening, red pilling or whatever you want to call it, is like it puts me in conflict with people that I didn't want to be in conflict with because I see something differently. And I think what's good about the conversation today here is we have a, an example where we can disagree on the 9-11 thing, but it does not make us uncomfortable to a, cer- to a certain extent. Uh, maybe I am. Well, I think the 9-11 thing in general, <laughs> just after listening to you guys go back and forth about it, I think the 9-11 thing totally did the illusionist on you guys. You got so focused on who's to blame that the persons who got the gain are getting away scot-free. That's what I wondered about. Focusing on the buildings, to me, is kind of a little bit of a distraction. Seriously, man. I mean, every single heist movie in existence is doing something over here so that you can rob something over there. Well, I, I agree with that. I... That, that, that if you just focus on the buildings, then you've, you've missed the point. The problem is the Overton window, you're familiar with the Overton window concept, right? Yeah. The idea is the, the window of acceptable possibilities had moved so far that we were willing to do all the things we did because of 9-11. Not just invade Iraq and Afghanistan, but the Patriot Act itself was a problem. But it's a repeat of World War II, Pearl Harbor. Couldn't, couldn't that have been just the, couldn't that have been the plan in, in, in the whole thing? Oh, absolutely, wasn't yeah. So I mean, it was written before. I'm just saying that the written. whole point. Uh, I mean, if you can get the entire population focused on this, I mean, how many flags went up afterwards, right? If you can get the whole population focused over here, if you, you can, get worried about the invisible virus. You can do whatever you want anywhere else. Yeah. All you have to do is just say it's to save us from the big bad thing in the from world. The space aliens, right? Space aliens. Well, the space aliens are now little invisible pieces of germ in your body, right? That are just as prolific as the flu. You know what's really interesting? Do you know that the same infection vectors for COVID-19 are the same infection vectors for the flu? Sure. Did you look at the CDC's report for flu infections this year? It went away because of the masks. (laughs) No, it didn't. It didn't go. It went. That's that's the argument. It went down. It went down just a little bit. But what's really interesting is, in terms of like over the lifetime of how long we've been tracking the flu, we're kind of in the middle. What do you mean? Well, in terms of numbers. Oh, okay. Right, people who are infected and die and are hospitalized by the flu, influenza. I thought they had, had very low incidences. Of oh, no, that's crap. You can go ahead and pull it up. The CDC has a report on it already. Oh, that, that, is that recent? I, I got 20, seen charts of 
2020. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot it. of data that yeah the flu has gone away, but we'll, we'll look that we'll look that up and see if we can get something on there for the the listeners. Flu is it down? Oh, it's down. Or it's, it's down. Gone. It's not gone. It's it's tracking. It's tracking on the the middle low of flu incidents over history. Okay. Right, something like twenty million, I think, or something like that, worldwide. And the high last year, or the high the year before, like twenty nineteen, was getting close to sixty million. Deaths. But uh, I can't remember exactly what was on the chart, but yeah, not not deaths, but it was like high incident, and then there was also deaths in there. But going back in history, it's like. Five years ago, it was at twenty million. You know, so it's it's like you can get a you can get a chart of it. One thing about this disease, this COVID thing, is people focus on only one threat. Do over the this last is decade. the only thing that's going to kill you, COVID. It's like no. How many diseases are there, and they're just focusing on this one thing? The number one thing in the in the United States is still heart disease. Sure. And, and it's way higher than COVID by a huge amount. I mean, it's like it's like it's like focusing on the guy who got struck by lightning instead of instead of focusing on you know, something that's much more efficacious. Well, Straining we, and we've talked and we've talked a lot about this on the program, and I've done I have downloaded the CDC's Excel data and analyzed it and graphed it and stuff like that. So we can uh, we can get into that. There there is a pretty good. Flu website, all deaths due to COVID slash due to flu slash due to all causes that I've spent a lot of time dissecting. But I think we're, we're now, this tends to happen. We'll tend to get sidetracked into the, to the coronavirus stuff and, you know, tangent off of what, what the more important subject is. And I think we're talking about the virtue signaling. This is, I think, an interesting, what would you say? characteristic of most of the people in this world. We love to be given the attaboy, the accolade, the pat on the shoulder, right? I mean, I love, I like people to tell me, oh, yeah, you look great, or, oh, yeah, that was such a good job, good job, you know, that, you know, if you perform a, uh, if you sing or something, you perform a piece of music and you want somebody to say, that was excellent. You don't want them to say, well, you know, it needs a little work. <laughs> and, you, and you know, you know when you're, uh, Involved in performance art when you've, you know, had a good performance or whatever. CDC website. Okay, we're going to table this discussion, man. This is uh, past season's estimated influenza disease burden. Text me this. I will link to it on the on the website. Your your point is that we're we're focused on the wrong things, and I I've got a graph here. I'll show you this. You've you may or may not have seen this. You know how scary COVID nineteen is when you don't watch the news. It's not. It's, it's it, not. Uh, our our friend Bobby on the show. He says, "Look, how, how bad is it when you have to have a test to know you have it?" Yeah. Right. It, it, this is this is a long time subject here on the on the podcast, and well, you said it's the most. Was it? couple of episodes ago you've never seen propaganda this yeah we've never seen propaganda this bad here's here's a graph i made in december and this illustrates i think this is on episode number one this illustrates what al is talking about no no matter how you slice it or whatever 
you're ignoring the purple area on the graph. You see, every year in America, there's like 3 million people that die. And maybe we had a little bit of excess death, either to flu or the state's over response or to coronavirus or whatever. But 3 million people die anyway. And so we're only talking about a little bit of extra Now, extra as, soon as, you, as soon as you do that, you're seen as callous and uncaring. Because now you're saying that 3 million people aren't really that important. Well, but look at, the, look at it compared to the 33 million. See, I've tried to graph it here and show, hey, look, see the little red blip here that we are you all You callous, about. uncaring cat. Uh, I know. See, that's why you're a water type, but I'm not. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm not. I'm... Let, let me tell, let me tell you this one. The, the fact that you classified me as a water type would have my wife just beaming because <laughs> it's taken over 20 years for her to get me out of being in the winter. <laughs> well, everybody goes through the seasons, but I just think your, 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 your innate temperament is happy and it's positive and upbeat and helping people. And I know you have your personal... Everybody has their demons, right? Everybody has the, the struggle to fight. I would love to introduce you to this, this friend that I want to have do the podcast. I hope he'll do the podcast with me. His, his wife just had a baby, and um, maybe I've disclosed too much. Maybe he won't even come on it now because we're trying to keep our identities secret so that we can say whatever we want. There's lots of women <laughs> who just had a baby recently. Yeah. But he, he's, a, he's a really um, very prescient guy when it comes to you know personality types or temperament types and how people tend to act just how, they, how they're naturally built to act because he you know we, we all have have you ever taken a Myers-Briggs test have we talked about that before yes and I score dead even on everything so I, you're you're unclassifiable well, yeah okay well not unclassifiable anyway, the problem with the Myers-Briggs system is it's a self-assessment mm -hmm. and so he, he'll go in and he'll talk to people and he'll say, hey, here's, let me, you know, let's talk a little bit. And you kind of like, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Everybody, everybody sees you as, oh, yeah, yeah. So he'll, he'll, he used to get a group, he kind of used to do a, well, I guess I can't, I can't say too much because I want to have him on the show. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he, I think he would say that you're in the spring and that uh, Whitaker and I are, Winter. Or in the winter, we're more flaw finding, and you're you're very logical, structured thinker in a lot of ways. But I, I really think there's this part of you that's um, trying so hard to be good. No, not just trying to be good. You're just you're just more you're more touchy feely than you think. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know if touchy feely is the right word, but like the way you interact with your youngest son is is I think exemplifies that sort of a yeah even though no, we won't go there we won't go there we can't we can't again can't divulge too much well get, get us back on track Whitaker so so virtue signaling and um, what did you call it fake virtue fake vir state imposed virtue state imposed virtue I mentioned in a couple of podcasts that Alex Jones put out a really good documentary called Endgame in 2007, and the second half of it is really good. And he has in there audio clips of Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World, which is an allegory about a medical dictatorship or a, or a society that falls into sort of a medical tyranny. 
totalitarian type of a state. And he, he's contemporary with George Orwell. And he, uh, at Berkeley, he was talking about how he thought his version of the tyranny would be more likely to evolve than Orwell's because Orwell's is so blatant and abrasive. It's the, it's the iron fist and people would fight against it. But that the medical tyranny and the drugs and the self-indulgence and all that would be what people would welcome. And that people are always itching for a reason to show their superiority and to self-congratulate and congratulate others and, and express their virtue. And so that was one of the main reasons he thought his version of events would play out. And it looks like he's been prophetic, but it was in his own words. Alex has it in the documentary. And I, I recommend the second half of Endgame. The whole thing's good, but he just spends a lot of time on the Bilderberg group, which in 2007, most people weren't aware that that was a real thing. Yeah. And now it's kind of like, oh yeah, world leaders meeting in secret. Oh, there's a car going. I think that's my wife. I think you're you're leading the party. I think I am. But okay. uh, do do you want to do you want <laughs> to say your farewells and run out there, or should we give you a ride home, or what? Um. <laughs> you want to excuse yourself for a minute? Yeah, I'll be back in just okay. a second. <laughs> I, this oh, is great. You may come back. We don't know. Sometimes we'll cut stuff from the podcast, but in this case, I think we'll just let it run. What else? What else do you want to say? Wit. About, oh, there's so uh, much. I, I, I think Zion we or a good society or yeah, and I think we, we could, could talk up. for even more hours about the the building stuff, but we just well, I, there's only so much time. We, we can talk as long as you want to talk about it. That's that's fine. But yeah, just the good society, you know, the the po- the poem that that Al brought up, you know, focusing on the individual. I think that's that's really important. Collectivism, where it's like. We saw that a lot. You know, you need to... My mask protects you. Your mask protects me. So you must do what I say. Yeah. To protect me. And the same... They do the same thing with the, with the vaccines. You're not... You're vac- the vaccines don't... I mean, this is before COVID. We need herd immunity. So everyone must be vaccinated. <laughs> for yeah, the people who can't get vaccinated. And that's like, the, the absurd thing. Because it makes them all vax deniers. It makes them all these hypocrites. Because the whole point... At least up until 2019, and I know they've been trying to change the narrative for about 10 years prior to that because I've seen it, but at least when I was growing up, the idea about a vaccine was that if you get the shot, it will give you protection from the disease. So if you're vaccinated, you're safe. But they say it only works if the other person is vaccinated too. It Which just means it doesn't like work. just sounds like they're trying to sell vaccines. It just doesn't work then. Because that, yeah. that's an anti-vax statement is that it yeah. doesn't work unless... Unless everybody gets vaccinated, that's, that's it totally sounds like they're trying to yeah. sell vaccines. So let's let's see if we can devil's advocate that self for ourselves. So if we say, okay, one person gets vaccinated, they're safe. Doesn't mean that they're still not an infection vector, especially if they touch hands with someone who's yeah. ill. And then they go and touch someone else's hands who's not vaccinated, right? You're just not going to get sick, but you're still an infection. Sure, but uh, let me remind everybody, the CDC did publish a study that said that surface spread was a 1 in 10,000 chance, okay? On what? Surfaces. No, for what? For COVID. For COVID. 
They did. That, I'm serious. That's, that, a, that's this crazy because CDC that's, their, study. that's their number one transfer option. Well, th- their number one transfer was through the spit. Through the, Spitum? Spitum? Through, through uh, aerosolized. That's why they wanted you to wear the masks. But which is so they were saying it'll take days or weeks for a virus particle to fall to the ground. But they were talking about social distancing and not touching and not interacting for for the reasons of hey you're spreading it through the air and via touch. And then they quietly came out and said, oh, our studies show that surface spread is one in ten thousand chance. Wow, that's really bad. Considering, wow. I know. Huh. It's exceptional. But. I mean, like, in terms of, like, the efficacy of a virus. I mean, has anybody ever played the video game Plague? Plague? Is that Thank with you. the zombies? No, it's, it's, you're basically trying to create a disease that will destroy the entire planet. I'm going to have to make a note here on the podcast page. So there's a video game where you try to destroy the planet called Plague. Yeah. And so you played it? And the th- yeah, I played it. <laughs> I, of course he has. So it's a... I mean, it's an old game. It's been around for a lot longer than... Uh, Is this like Civilization? Yeah. Or like Age of Empires or something? Yeah, but you're, you're a virus or you're someone who's trying to use a virus to infect the entire okay, world. Okay, so what do you do? You, you run around touching people? No, you, you just try to create infection vectors and you can do it a number of different ways. Water, air, touch, you know. But the thing is, is that... Okay, but tell me how the gameplay works. Like, so you... You're, is the city already created and you come into it and you... It's the whole globe. The whole globe, okay. So there's a lot of things that you have to deal with, right? You have to... If, when you're making your virus, your virus has to be able to... Tra- be, it has to be able to have a long what, what, incubation time. Otherwise... Okay, so what's the setting of the video game? This, I'm imagining like World of Warcraft or... Oh, just pull it up. Or a top... Is it like a top-down view? Just do Plague video game. Okay. It's like you're looking at a world map, the global map. So it's more of a strategy game, like. No, it's not like that. It's uh, uh, look under like a steam-powered plague. Okay, bear with us. Anyway, it's a it's a video game where you you make a virus, and the difficulty with being able to make a virus that infects the entire planet is really, really, really hard. Because people become aware of it very quickly and then it ends up getting destroyed. Vaccines is one of the things that gets people um, safe from your plague. But more often than not, it's after a... Yeah, that's it. After a population becomes exposed to it, they immediately begin... The survivors immediately start producing antibodies, right? And then you end up with what's called natural herd immunity... You know, the same thing that's been protecting us for, depending on whether or not you believe in creationism or evolution, either way, the body was created from stuff that was already here. And it's been around for a long time. So how, do you, how are you going to go about the process of being resistant to uh, viruses and bacteria that's been around for a long time for this, the human organism that we're, we're occupying mm-hmm. So, so, the, so the video game, the idea with the video game is you sort of, are, it's a strategy game where you set a bunch of parameters and then you watch it spread across the world map. Right. But one of the, <laughs> one of the biggest problems They were is probably playing this. The, one of the biggest problems is you need to be able to have an incubation time that's long enough so that people don't shut down airports. So right? this one, this guy won. He destroyed the world because it's all red, right? Yep. 
Okay. And this one's not very far advanced because... Nope. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll link to some screenshots of this. But it's, it's actually really interesting because then you, if you're, if you're playing the person who's manufacturing the virus, you see how difficult it is, even if you have control over a virus, to manufacture one that's going to be able to defeat the systems that are in place. And these are rudimentary systems, right, in comparison to what exists in real life. So you look at that and you say, oh, okay, so if it's a manufactured virus, it's going to be difficult. If it's a natural virus, it's crazy difficult. It, because, yeah, you're just, you're just not going to have that many infection there. Well, I think there's sort of a universal speed limit, kind of like the speed of light relative to viruses. And, and based on what you've just explained, the idea is that the virus can either be very deadly, very fast, mm -hmm. or it's going to be very benign, you know, have minor symptoms and spread far and wide. Because if it's too deadly, too fast, it kills the host and people react and, and they get away and they get away and, and you can tell so, they're you can tell they're infected, and so you don't you, don't associate with them because they're symptomatic, and that's how you spread viruses. If you were playing plague, mm -hmm. COVID nineteen is a failure. You would not win the game on it, and the reason why is this: you'd have high infection rate, low lethality, right. which means that the human population, in no way, shape, or form, was extinct. Right? Yeah. The 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 end result was is that you probably get you you get like. Next to no accolades for COVID nineteen. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that I think there's a there's a speed limit that in, in nature that basically, or or some sort of a governor in nature that causes it so that you won't get the extinction event because it either it either is deadly and goes fast and gets isolated or it spreads far and wide like the common cold, and that's just the nature of things. And and the, there's been a heck of a lot of media in the last twenty five years trying to warn us that there's going to be a, both a deadly and a fast-spreading virus. And, and that's just propaganda, in my opinion. Like, for example, World War Z. Did you ever see that? Brad mm -hmm. Pitt? Yeah. Within a, that was great. A, yeah, and I Am Legend. Within a matter of seconds. Well, I Am Legend was interesting because it was the cancer vaccine that caused... No, no, it's, not, it's not a vaccine. It was like... Um, it was something. I thought they said it was a vaccine. In, in no, it, it wasn't a vaccine. It, it, was, it was gene therapy of some kind. In, in I Am Legend? Yeah. Well, it's in the first part of the show. You guys can go watch that. But the point I think is... it was for measles. They changed something for measles. It was can I thought it was cancer. I thought that no, was no. They, they, they genetically engineered the measles virus to combat... Um, oh, I'm talking about the Will Smith movie. I am. You are too? Yes. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll have to do some fact-checking on that. So, offline. what if, if it failed? Well, do you, did you ever see that creepy clip of Bill Gates. Yeah, He's like, a, well, people won't be afraid of this one, but they'll be afraid of the next one. And he has this creepy grin. <laughs> There's something off about that. Maybe we can find that. You gotta I've find heard that about one. it. But it's just, it's just this knowing smirk he has. Like, do they have something planned? I don't know. Was this just a test run? It's been a great vaccine commercial. Been a live-action vaccine commercial to get people injected with, with this thing. Anyway, virtue signaling. 
Going back to that. Okay, so you just gave me a fact check article, which I think is wrong. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I will I will double check that. A fact <laughs> check that's wrong. I, I will double check that. I'll go watch the movie. I thought I remembered a, a woman who's a doctor. Yeah, it is a woman who's a doctor, and she talks about the vaccination for cancer. Yep. They had invented a vaccination for cancer. Yeah, it wasn't a vaccination. They modified the measles virus to do genetic, um, basically, fighting against cancer. Okay, but so I'm on Wikipedia. It is set in New York City after a virus which was originally created to cure cancer has wiped out most of mankind. Hmm, that's interesting. So that that's funny though. If you're going to say this was a gene therapy, because that's the whole. Because that's what MR, it is. That's what it is. It's the COVID yeah. things in mRNA. And they're calling it a vaccine. Potato, potato. Well, I came across this cheesy show called Dystopia. And I watched the first five minutes because it's just... The bad acting was... And it's about... I think it was in 2020 that... Or the end of 2021 or something. The year, it was just creepily... The timing was very interesting. Mm-hmm. That this medical treatment came out and it sterilized everyone, so there were no kids. Awesome. There was a show called uh, Children of Men that was about how the society had stopped having children. Uh, that's yeah, that's an interesting I show. What's the guy? Clive Owen is in it. Yeah, yeah. He's, I didn't end up watching it, but I heard. Great. I don't know if you mentioned it or. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it's strange how. Life imitates art, or vice versa. Maybe the, the the maybe the big push behind the vaccines is that the virus is not effective at transmitting the the full package, you know, because it burns out and and does you know has the characteristics that Al and I were just talking about, and so they need everybody to take the vaccine to get the delivery, to so, get to get the package delivered. Well, that's what you know. Some people say the mRNA vaccines have not passed animal trials because every time the animal is re-exposed to the virus, they get killed, they die. Well, that's that was one of the thing that yeah, that's one of the big things I've I've seen is that it's sort of a Trojan horse mechanism that causes you to to have a cytokine storm or an overreaction the next time you uh, get a coronavirus. So okay, here, here we have Al Will giving S- me the Will Smith the text. is supposed to be creating a vaccine for the measles virus that was used to genetically fight cancer. And the measles virus gave them um, the rabies-like symptoms. Okay. Left out the movie night. Yep, movie night. Movie night. So, <laughs> let's see. I think I can pull up the script here of I Am Legend. To You guys talk about Zion. Okay, no, um, I want to talk about virtue signaling. Okay. Uh, just a little bit. Because didn't Jesus Christ, he, didn't he say when they were talking about like the widow's might, it's right around that time, when it's, uh, the people who are like chucking in their tithing or whatever, and she chucks in hers. But he says, you know, they chuck their stuff in to be seen of men. Isn't yeah. that virtual signaling? And he says, and they will have their reward, and their reward will be among men. Yeah, but, they just had their reward, they were seen. Right, and then the other, the follow-up was, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, or something along those lines, wasn't it? Something like that. Sounds but the, to me, it's like, if you are, if you're virtual sig- if you're virtue signaling, 
it is symptomatic of a false Zion. It's symptomatic of a false system that is causing you to look to the temporal rather than the eternal. You, you are interested in what other people think of you. you are, you're interested in making society like you as opposed to knowing yourself and doing what is right according to having integrity and um, there's probably a lot of other really cool words I could use that are not even coming into my mind. So integrity with yourself, integrity with your, with your own path. The, not the not the pharisaical laws of the society, right? You know, because you know, I, and I, I really do want. I mean, my mind keeps on flowing back to the fellow who says, "What can I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven?" You know, and quite honestly, you remember Jesus said he looked upon him and he loved him, right? He said, mm-hmm. "He's like you know, go and do all these things." Right? He gave him the pharisaical list, right? Because. I think what was cool about what Jesus said there is that the list isn't necessarily bad. It's if your focus on the list has then caused you to lose sight of the eternal. And that's when the end statement has one thing thou lackest, right? Go and sell all that thou hast. Give it to the poor and follow me. And he went away sorrowing for he had much, right? So it's like we have much. I mean, seriously, we have much. And that's what we're all afraid of losing mm-hmm. in order to correct where society is at. People are unwilling to go against the draconian measures of the government because the government is determining whether they get to work or not, or where they get their money, or where they get their food. So because we're all essentially slaves to the, to the system, are we? and we're unwilling to get... Well, we are in the sense that we're not willing to give it up. Right. That, that's where, and that's, that's why, why I was saying we have two conflicting yeah, so I'm social structures. I'm agreeing with you. And by the way, just for fact-checking help, so the, the dialogue from the lady, she says, well, the premise is quite simple. This is back to I Am Legend. Take something by nature, designed by nature, take something designed by nature and reprogram it to make it work for the body rather than against it. We're talking about a virus? Yes. In this case, the measles virus which has been engineered at a genetic level to be helpful rather than harmful. Um, I'm not... I find the best way to describe it is if you can imagine your body as a highway and you picture the virus as a very fast car being driven by a very bad man. Imagine the damage that car could cause. But if you replace that man with a cop, then the picture changes. And that's essentially what we've done. How many people have been treated so far? We've had 10,009 clinical trials in humans. And how many are cancer-free? 10,009 are cancer-free. So... So this starts out, I Am Legend starts out with a... Uh, Genetically engineered measles virus. The, it, it starts out with a woman talking about engineering, engineering the measles virus to combat cancer. That's, by definition, not quite a vaccine. A vaccine, is, is, where a vaccine. Take, a vaccine is where you take a <laughs> virus and damage it to trick the T-cells into starting an immune response to get rid of it. And what and they did what, is they created a measles virus that targets cancer. What they are talking about is what is seen today, and this is what makes this crazy land that we're living in. And I, and I, I have to go back and address the tangent, because I think what we were talking about with the ruler is, is good, because we want to figure out how to avoid what's coming next. And that means we're going to have to make some sacrifices, right? But the, the point is that in the I Am Legend movie, they're doing exactly what 
we think might be happening with the, with the mRNA mechanism. It's a possibility it's happening with the mRNA mechanism, but it's for sure happening with what they call CRISPR-Cas9 engineering. And you probably heard of this. Have you heard of this? Yeah, have you seen Rampage? Rampage, what's that about? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's about CRISPR. I thought it's, it was a, it's I thought wonderful. It was a video game where you knock down. Yeah, it's a video uh, game with Dwayne the Rock Johnson and they're modifying creatures yeah, to it's about be CRISPR. the Rampage. Creatures. Oh, Rampage it's, is about CRISPR? It's wonderful propaganda because what they do <laughs> is they have these cartoonish bad guy corporate people that created this these monsters and they have this government worker from a secret agency he's this charming and this is charming uh, tough Dwayne, guy Dwayne the rock no he was he was Similar he's kind of a, he works he works with the gorilla or, what, or whatever the i don't know the george george he works with george he's one of the monsters he's one of the monsters george is one of the works. monsters okay. he was a normal animal that was infected by this stuff okay. and became big and he becomes the giant white girl. okay i gotta watch this now so you it's gotta about watch CRISPR-Cas9. it CRISPR-Cas9 yep. is really intriguing because there's a woman who's a, definitely a winter type. She's very, very much a uh, analytical scientist type. Her name's Jennifer Doudna. And it's funny because her name's Doudna. But uh, super, yeah. super smart, worked with another woman at Berkeley, and they got the Nobel Prize this last year for CRISPR-Cas9. Cas9 is the protein that delivers the CRISPR system, which is a gene editing therapy overtly absolutely no doubt about it they talk about it in these terms whereas with the mRNA thing they want to say oh no it's not modifying your genes it's just causing your your cells to create a protein that the body will react to it creates the spike protein off of the coronaviruses well the problem is that's what CRISPR-Cas9 does is it uses a protein to induce the body to, ch- to, gen- to change its genetic sequencing, to change the DNA. And the idea is that a virus is what is used to deliver the protein. So all of these things are interrelated and none of it, you know, nobody's really been able to test and see what, like, like Al was saying, the human trials are not done on the, yeah. on, the, on the coronavirus vaccine and neither are they done on the coronavirus. The coronavirus has had some interesting issues but here's here's where it links back to the movie rampage and the movie i am legend because they're using the virus as that delivery system in the case of i am legend to combat cancer so we're we're at a strange place in time because that technology is on the table and as we all know being suspect of the government if it's out in the open to the public, it's probably been available for 20 or 30 years. Well, we do have our smartphones right here. Yes. Anyway, back to, back to how, we, how do we get out? What, we got to sacrifice. What are, you need, you've already, you need you've already said it. How? You already, you already said, um, he who is not willing to give up, dot, 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 dot. Right? What, what did Joseph Smith say? He said he was not willing to sacrifice everything is not going to produce faith sufficient to be saved in the kingdom of heaven. Lectures on faith six, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> sacrifice is the sacrifice of all earthly things. You must sacrifice all earthly things if well, you that, want to have faith 
so necessary then, for salvation. What is not earthly here? And that goes back to my that goes back to my statement about what is it that is celestial versus what okay. is it that's temporal? Yeah. Well, you okay? So you're jumping to the end result in here, and I would like to talk about more of the interim steps because I think we're going to see society crumble around us. And is there anything we can do just to step back? Stop or watching is it, the media. Stop watching the news. Yeah. Do I have to stop watching movies? I enjoy watching and commenting on movies. Well, that's up. That's up to you. Well. Okay, How, you only have 24 hours in, in, You're in, right. a, in a day, right? Well, day is subjective. In, in a, there's 24-hour periods, right? Uh-huh. How much of your time do you want to spend on trying to fix or comment on that which can't be well, fixed? I mean, That's why we're talking, because we're, 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 I hope we're engaging in the endeavor of helping people break out of the mind prison, which is an important start. So but there, there, there's a lady that I've referenced on the podcast before, Catherine Austin Fitz, mm-hmm. and I heard her, she's a former Undersecretary of Housing and Urban Development in the Bush 1 slash Clinton administration in the 90s. And she came under fire from the secret combination and had a bunch of lawsuits and she fought them and she won, but it bankrupted her or whatever got her. I don't know what happened. But you can go read all about it. And now she's a byline re- in some historical text. No, she's a she's a kind of an activist. She's you can read about it from episode six. The links on episode six. She wrote DylanReedandCo.com, which is an expose on the aristocracy of stock profits. And she goes through the whole pump and dump rationale. And, and that was a, I think episode eight was a good episode where we discussed the totality of the secret combination and the stuff they're involved in. But I want to give her credit for this because she's a very smart thinker and she. She thinks differently, kind of like you're, you're thinking. It's like, well, you've got to stop giving the bad guys the ammunition. And she, she remembered a point when she's talking about this stuff. She, she'll often reference a point in her trial with the uh, or her travails, her troubles with the federal government where they were trying to sue her and throw her into jail where she was writing her attorney a check on a Chase Bank Account and she realized she was banking with the very people that were suing her, trying to throw her in jail. And she's like, "Why am I banking with them?" You know. And oh, I remember that one. You've heard her talk. Yeah, she's very articulate. And w- one time in one of the presentations or interviews she gave, she mentioned that she because she's now she does a thing called Solari Report, Solari Solari Report, which is sort of an investment advice type of a newsletter and she she tries to get people to make more local connections she says you need to know who your banker is and who your farmer is because you know you've got money and food and there's there are local relationships that matter but but she was given an interview and she pointed out what you're what i think you're trying to point out is that we focus too much first of all we focus way too much on the wrong things and so she had one of her clients was concerned about what to do during the uh, relative to the uh, Trump election last year. And she said, look, I don't want you to fixate on the election. I want you to decide on a certain number of hours, say less than 10, that you're going to focus on this entire election season. You're, you're able to spend 9 or 10 hours on the news during the election season and then pick something else that you would do with your time that would be better. And the woman, all the time that you would have spent watching the news or listening or looking into the current events and and the woman decided to build a greenhouse and she said you know 
it was a the, the lady reported back to her that it was a, a, ch- a life changing experience because she wasn't weighed down and brought down by the all the craziness of the election and she had an incredible greenhouse <laughs> you know and, and she's growing food and doing all kinds of cool stuff with that so I think that's what you I mean that's a that's a practical application of what you're saying isn't it yep yeah I, I read in, instead of every time I think I should go and check up on politics I should go and check up on some current event especially one that has um like emotionally or socially charged, you know, Facebook worthy rants. See, this is going to be really hard for Bobby, our, our other podcast host, because he's super tied into Twitter. <laughs> and what I do is I just go and read. And by this time this year, let's see here on, on Kindle. Let me see what I've got for my, my read stats. I got yeah, you, it, it gives them a little dopamine, dopamine bump. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally is. It's it's a dopamine bump that doesn't involve um, other people giving you the dopamine. Yeah, so self-induced dopamine. Yeah, so let's see here. I, by this time this year, I've read forty-eight books. Wow. So, um, nonfiction, fiction, or what? A mix. Just whatever comes across. Well, yeah, the stuff that I'm interested in. My next one is is a, a, a PhD dissertation on fluid dynamics. That sounds really. Boring. So Al's. <laughs> well, that's good. To, that getting the information in. That's good to know. Al's advice for podcast listeners is to stop listening to the podcast. Yes. And read a book. <laughs> but the but the point. Good advice. The point that I'm the point that I'm making there is that. Um, because of the powers that be that are involved in this particular thing, the, not that your opinion or your voice isn't important, um, but that the chances of you being able to change a zealot's mind are next to nothing. And the amount of time and, and sanity and physical health that, and mental health that you're going to save and doing something that you enjoy over doing something that is arduous and going nowhere is, is going to be much more advantageous. For instance, let's go back to what, what I suggested might make up Zion. Find somebody who you have classically had a poor relationship and repair it. Not, not like fix it entirely, but actively engage yourself in trying to create a connection that doesn't involve any animosity whatsoever. Best way, this is what I tell my kids. There's friends and there's acquaintances. Acquaintances are people that you know, who you have good conversations with, that you see at school or at work or whatever, okay? And the boundary line between friends and an acquaintance is that a friend has been willing to sacrifice something of themselves, personal time, resources or whatever that they didn't have to and asked for nothing in return when you needed it. They served you. In, in the broadest definition of the word, they've served you. They have now crossed over from acquaintance to friend. Okay? And they do it out of the goodness of their heart. Right? Mm-hmm. Nothing asked for, nothing gained, they were a servant to you. The greatest among you shall be your servant. 
And they have crossed that line and they have showed a Christ-like countenance, right? They are now a friend, right? The friendship and trust grows over time, right? But they've taken that first step, right? Over time, they've done that multiple times. Friendship grows. You share with each other. Um, I kind of call this like the... Um, this is this is the reason why you should never trust any sort of social media is because this this one right here this I tried to explain this to to uh, my wife the other day I said when you become friends with people you end up and you get close to them you end up knowing their dirty laundry and they end up knowing yours and you kind of have um, a mutual defense pact because you know <laughs> if they if they go and or if mutually you, assured destruction there you go mutually what, assured what destruction called. Okay, yeah. so that so there you go. You got you've got that going on. But with with social media, with these big conglomerates that are collecting all of your personal data, you have absolutely zero friendship with that thing. Right. And their ability to be able to destroy your life because they're listening on your phone or they're listening on your your Alexa or your Siri or your whatever, right? They are information gathering on you with no intent whatsoever to benefit you. Their sole benefit is to themselves grabbing your information, grabbing your person so that they can try to sell you stuff so that they can get money. They, they are using you. Um, they're not your friend. Period. Um, and that's anybody who's selling you something as a general rule. Right? Somebody who's willing to give up of their resources selflessly to try to help you, right? So you're, you're saying seek out those relationships. Seek out those relationships. Do that instead of trying to discover just how many people died from the flu versus COVID-19. Do that rather than trying to figure out what the next, what was it, virtue signaling thing is that you, that you need, need to, to signal be, on. That you need to be frustrated with or do to make yourself feel better. Right, because we spend a lot of time being frustrated at the virtue signaling too. Well, we, we've gone uh, two and a half hours here. Whitaker, why don't you give us some advice as a parting gift and we'll wrap up the podcast now that it's run long enough. I don't know. <laughs> Speak louder into the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was the clo- the closing line of that poem you started with? You're the you're the master of your fate, and the captain of my soul. That's yeah. right. Don't let anyone don't outsource your thinking to anyone else or your relationship to God. You're on in a way you're on your own because you're, you're going to answer for your own actions. You're not alone. <laughs> La, 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 la. No, you're 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 not alone. You've got the Lord with you. You've got the Spirit with you. But right, you, but you're that, alone in your decisions. You're, but your decision might be difficult. It's that's another thing we were talking about is how how hard it is for mankind for people to stand alone in their decisions. And when you know you're right, you need to be strong and bold. And even if everybody else. Is, is going the other way. You need to, when you know you're doing the right thing for you as per what you and God have decided or what you, what you think is the appropriate moral behavior, 
to stand by yourself is very uncomfortable. And, and I think that's why society gets in the predicament that it's at is because it's far more comfortable for us to validate each other as a crowd than to hear that voice in the wilderness, that, that voice inside of our heart and do the right thing rather than the, the popular thing. And so I think that's great advice. But I, I just only take issue with the idea that you're alone. And I know that's not what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not alone. You've got God with you. Yeah. And, but that's a, that is a minority position. That's always a scary place to be. Because you might be at church and have God telling you something that's contrary to what is being said at church. Yeah. You might be in a legal situation and it might be contrary to what's generally accepted to be the the custom customary law it might be the codified law mm-hmm. that's corrupt well you, and, you know it, the nazis you know the nuremberg defense well i was just following orders right like, no you you're accountable for your actions it's a good point you leave this world with the actions a record of the actions you took the thoughts you think the records you took that's it and you can't blame it on anyone else. <laughs> Not and get away with it. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say the devil made me do it. No. Well, on that note, uh, thank you for listening. If you've been listening this long, we really do appreciate all of our listeners and your interactions. If you have comments, we love to see them posted to the website at mindvirus.show. Love to see some discussion there, especially between listeners. If you, if you have anything to comment on. And we're really not advertising. So if you like this and enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and uh, spread the word of liberty and truth and, and self, uh, personal, personal responsibility. And, you know, be positive, be happy. Try to, I think, I think uh, Al's advice to try and detach a little bit and learn and grow and make good relationships is good yeah you need allies in this world right and think critically like you said Whitaker those those are good advice today so on that note everybody have a great week thanks guys for coming on the show thanks maybe we can talk again love it okay take care everybody bye bye bye